Stephen King, author of Carrie, said, Evil Dead is the most ferociously original horror film of the year. If you think he's kidding, see for yourself. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected is sure to come calling for me. It was the woods themselves. They're alive. Evil Dead. They got up on the wrong side of the grave. Evil Dead from New Line Cinema. Starts Friday at these theaters. Check your newspaper for times. Dun 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 dun. Oh, Frankenstein action! <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Blake quizzes me on movies. You know what? What movie is that from? I'll quiz Blake on different songs. Edgar Winter. Yes, he's back, and we're talking. Not talking about him tonight. I've now seen Edgar Winter twice live, and it is quite the experience. So highly recommended it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to disparage Edgar Winter, but it is kind of like a beautiful train wreck to watch. <laughs> well, now, why would you say that? Because, <laughs> you know, some of these rockers, they get a little bit past their prime. And I don't know if Edgar Winter really even had a prime, really, other than the song Frankenstein. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of these people, I mean, for some audiences, that one hit is all you need. And he's still, because he takes that keyboard and he throws it over his shoulder and he walks around. And it's not like a keytar. No. It's like a full-on Casio or <laughs> <laughs> electric piano. Yeah, he's doing that. Um, welcome to another edition of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Another exciting edition of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Tonight is brought to you by TakeCareOf.com. We'll be talking <laughs> a little more about them in a little while, but yes, tonight's episode is brought to you by TakeCareOf.com. That's Jay Blake. And that's Dion Baya. That's me. And we are Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. But we're also well into our oh, 2019. Let's throw hands on Summer of sequels. <laughs> yes, we are. We are. We are in the summer. Of, we are in the summer of sequels. We're almost. We're like at the tail end. We're on the yeah, back nine. It's been. It's been going quick, hasn't it? Blew right through it. I know. I mean, you think about our first, what was our first sequel, Terminator just, 2? You know what? Let's just change That's the show it. into Saturday Night Movie, movie Summer Sequels. <laughs> movie Sequels. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Saturday Night Movie Summer Sequels. And it's only summer movies, <laughs> summer sequel <laughs> movies. Um, so what have we been doing? What have we been up to? I mean, we were ha- we needed so much recuperation from oh, that. From that Wizard, Wizard of Oz. Oz one took a lot out of us. We slept for days. The days. My parents were like, you going to get up and do anything? Jesus. You got to take another shower. <laughs> I remember one summer june i don't remember what year it was but you, but you, know, you had like a half day sure you had tests in the morning oh so we're talking about while we were still in school yeah yeah back in high school I'm middle school say high school okay might have been middle school but i think it was high school and after class we went to we walked i think over to like pizza hut back when you used to have to walk to get everywhere <laughs> So it must have been pretty early in high school because none of us had licenses or cars. And uh, this guy, Chris Bianchi, was... Uh, Tony Lobianco. <laughs> was like, and then we'll go to pizza and then we'll go to my house 
and we'll swim. I'm like, we got a pool. So it was this big plan. We're going to go to walk from school to Pizza Hut. Sure. And then he's like, I don't live that far from Pizza Hut. Lo and behold, he lived like, felt like miles, five miles. Sure. <laughs> We're walking, like sun's r- beating down on rural you. Rural streets in upstate New York, not the dirt roads, a lot of hills, <laughs> up and down, up and sun down, sun beating down. And then we get to his house in his neighborhood, and then uh, we swam all day and played like, you know, football in the water, water polo, rugby, whatever games you play. Marco Polo. And I just remember I went home and just like passed out, and then I w- I woke up and it was. It's still dark outside. And I was like, oh, man. And then I looked at my clock, and I was like, Wait. I had slept like 24 hours. <laughs> you mean you went to bed that night when you got home? And, and I didn't slept. get up until the following night. And your mom was like, Jesus, let him just sleep it off. <laughs> I woke up, and I went downstairs, and my parents were like eating dinner the next night. It was a Lost Boys movie. You're like, you blew out last night, and you got some bite marks on your anyway, neck. So that's what happened. Yeah, with last time. <laughs> After yeah. Wizard of Oz. And I do class. want to apologize for some of our listeners. I was mis- I was mispronouncing some stuff, last, as I usually do. Look. Yeah, it's uh, long. You know, listeners. Dion mispronounces everything. <laughs> you understand that uh, it is late. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot going on. We're doing the best we can. Yeah, so I apologize for that. For but tonight we're doing a very exciting sequel. Yes, we are. And I would say that this is one in the, that category. Most people would put this in that category of sequels that are better than the original. I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure I agree with it because I actually, the, the first one's probably my favorite of the series, but I totally understand and would never argue with anybody who thinks that Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, is a superior film than the first Evil Dead. Yeah. And that's what we're doing this week. (laughs) Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn from 1987. And I would also go as far as to say, we've done some amazing sequels this summer. Yeah. I mean, we kicked it off with Terminator 2, which is another one that a lot of people would argue that. Better than the first. Yeah. Again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. (laughs) But- it's it's a it's a fool's errand. <laughs> but so we did we did that we Temple did, of Doom. We did Temple of Doom. You know, we did some great We did the other one. <laughs> we did one of those other sequels. We did a lot of other stuff. But I would say yeah. for all the prestige, budget, money, box office, popularity, sure. co- pop cultural significance sure. of T2 and Temple of Doom. I would put this right up there. Up in there my with personal opinion. Yeah, this is just a, as good. This is a big movie for Blake. This was a big thing for you growing up. I remember I remember why I remember watching it when it all happened, when you all got into this. And you're the one who showed me this movie. This is one of those movies where I knew the cover for years. You go to the horror movie oh, yeah. section of your video store, and it was like up there with for me, it was like Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead, where it's like, I'm not gonna rent that. <laughs> I guess it just looks Freaking the, the the cover of it with the skull with the eyes, yeah, with Campbell's eyes, yeah, just very scary, you know. So that was something that was like, you know, woo, that's kind of scary for me. So, uh, and then I never made the association, and I don't know what I saw first. I'm assuming I saw them in order, and I knew Army of Darkness, of course. You know, I saw that when that came out on like the pay per view, yeah, at the time. So I knew what everything was, but then I guess I never went back, and then I think I saw Evil Dead and then Evil Dead Two after that. Yeah, I know? think I saw Army of Darkness first, yeah. as well. And then uh, it's amazing how much of a run this has had. And this is a movie which I haven't seen in probably 20 years or 25 years, you know, not seeing it since college. So it was, it was amazing to come back to. And, you know, that's, this is the type of thing where I'll have questions and answers for you to have to write out. And you'll <laughs> have a lot essay, of essays. Yeah, essay essay, you know, so you'd have to just make sure you have your Ticonderoga pencils. <laughs> 
because we're going to you know talk about we should get into this so we have a lot of things we should get off the top here where um consciously or unconsciously Blake you have a huge affinity for Bruce Campbell and um You've also then sidelined that into other things where that was, uh, uh, you know, like a hobby years reading up on him, reading all his stuff. And then you, you've interviewed him. You were in contact with him. You hung out. You've done stuff. I mean, you know, <laughs> I haven't hung yeah, out. I, with know, him yet, I but... kid. But, you know, you have that. And then when you were teaching, you know, so like all this knowledge of over the years of Sam Raimi and then Campbell all comes together for this hodgepodge of knowledge that's going to be dropped off the top shelf onto us tonight. Yeah, this is our second Bruce Campbell film. Correct. The really early on. The probably runaway too, hit. <laughs> probably too early on. We covered a lesser-known Bruce Campbell classic called Mind Warp. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that was for the airing of, for the viewing of that for this podcast. That's probably like, that yeah, was our it was first the year. first 10, I'd say. Yeah. 10 episodes in or so we that did that one. Really on, really on when I was like, let's throw out shit that... I was People sure, never heard of Sure. <laughs> Come on. This is going to be a cult classic. And, you know, it, it was Angus Scrim, you know, right? What other movie are you going to see? It was the first. There was a point there in the late 80s or early 90s when Fangoria decided that they were going to try to make movies. Yeah. Or not try. They were going to make movies. And they did it. And Mind Warp was the first film yeah. that they made. And it was a, it's a crazy. Go back and listen to the podcast we did on it. But it's a really good movie because it mixes all these genres of like uh like almost like a total recall or yeah. futuristic a on different bit of a planets. matrix thing going on matrix they're digging in the mines there's all kinds of you, you may even get those creatures from beetlejuice up on the <laughs> desert you know i mean a lot of crazy Sand, there's doomed action going on you know sexy bruce campbell doing stuff you know looking all you know leading man and here the, like i feel like uh, Evil Dead 2 is like Campbell's in his prime. You know, this, this is, is right before Briscoe County Jr. This is where he becomes a leading man. Yeah, is this movie here. Um, what's your history with this? This film, I probably didn't see this film until we were in college, Yeah, to be honest with you. My history with Bruce Campbell is that I was a huge fan of uh, the, advent- the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. As was I, full disclosure. When it came on, I remember when it was premiering, I think I might... I might be wrong, but I think it was like in the lineup of like Father Dowling Mysteries and the the long the Young Writers. So that was my night. I was like, I'm watching Briscoe County, I'm watching the Young Writers, and I'm watching myself some Father Dowling. You know, Fox was still an early network then, and so they had. Uh, by that point, they had, they had uh, Twenty One Jump Street. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that might have even been coming to an end soon, but uh, they were kind of now going in a slightly different direction, and that's when they introduced X-Files, was yeah. right around that time, and uh, the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Were they, I, f- I have a memory of them, Briscoe, being a little earlier, but I maybe it could just be all, because everything Around matches. the same time, yeah. I think they even might have been on the same night, although Briscoe County, because it was more of a family-friendly show, was the lead-in, if I recall correctly. I could be Yeah, because I remember watching the pilot. I remember watching that night of X-Files as well. And it was something that I knew because I knew Billy Drago, uh, God God rest his soul. R.I.P. R.I.P. Drago. Because I was a huge Untouchables fan at that time, and I'd seen him in Delta Force 2, and he was the heavy. So I was like, oh, I'm going to love this show. But then it only John ran like Bly. a season. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such with the with the orb and all that. It was right up my alley. and It, it, might, only... it might be two seasons yeah. or a season and a half or something. It does kind of, if I recall correctly, because I did watch it a couple of years ago. Um, I think it wraps up the story of the orb. Oh, that's cool. Uh, but then, anyway, 
So I was a fan of Briscoe County Jr. And then when I was in high school, I was at a party and there was this crazy movie on and I didn't know what it was called. And so for then for years, I was always like, there's this movie with little people like and there's a chainsaw fight. And everybody was always like, it's Army of Darkness. So I just went out and I bought Army of Darkness. Yeah. And I watched it and it was not Army of Darkness, but I fell in love with Army of Darkness. Flash forward uh, several years, I think our junior year. I, I remember that when you discover what it was, because <laughs> I was, was a fan it, of that It movie. was in your, in your room. Yeah. We, we were flipping the channels at, at college, and Phantasm 2 was on. And it was in the middle of the chainsaw fight with the, with the guy who's in all of them, the milkman, or what is he in? I oh, yeah, was, Reggie. Yeah, he's fighting, and I had seen that prior, and you're like, hold the phone! And I was like, this is that fucking this movie! This is the thing with the long chainsaws and the people, and we just mentioned- Which is weird, because I had seen Phantasm. But not the second one. Before that, but yeah. it never. Well, because the, f- it's the I never put, a, I never put two and two together. The second one's a, a, as a departure. They had more money. Yeah, and stuff. It still had Reggie, but they replaced the actor. Yeah, Baldwin. It's the secret Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. One of the, <laughs> and then, but we talked about it last week because those two guys in Return to Oz, the orderlies, reminded me of the two because those guys freaked me out with those Undertakers with the orbs and at the end yeah. with those balls and that. But so you saw that crazy ass chainsaw fight with the dude in the gas mask, a la like uh, Saint Saint Valentine's Day. What is the name of that movie? My Sweet Valentine. My Sweet Valentine. Yeah. And you were like, that's the movie, you know, and then, you know, but still you vicariously was looking for that. You went and got Army of Darkness. And so that was my introduction. I was like, oh shit, this is fucking Briscoe County Jr. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and that's how I think a lot of us knew him. And you think about how much of a turn his career must have taken from doing these Sam Raimi movies and stuff. And then all of a sudden he gets a freaking primetime family yeah. Fox show, you know, Fox, um, uh, Network Fox. And then eventually you find out that Army of Darkness is the third in a series yeah, called The Evil Dead. And, and then, then you start picking him up. Like, I remember he's in the opening of Cotton Gall. I'm like, hey, look, it's Bruce Campbell. You see him at the end of Dark Man. <laughs> hey, look, it's Bruce Campbell. So you start noticing him and then, you know, you'll then, realize he's everywhere. And then full on into my my college obsession with Bruce Campbell, Dion sat through many a movie. I did. That had just Bruce Campbell for like three seconds. <laughs> it's because I love you. It was amazing. Because I was like, oh, let's get this. He's in this. Yeah. And then he's just like in the first scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, also I knew him too because he's in one of the Maniac Cops, isn't he? He's in the, he's like the lead of the first one. And then he gets, fo- he's spoiler in the s- alert, he gets killed right at the beginning of the second one, doesn't he? He gets like yeah, a he, knife through the, you know, I was a fan of the Maniac Cops. And that also has, I think, Robert, um, uh, what's his Robert Davies in one of those maybe the second one so like I was like hey look it's Bruce Campbell so it's amazing you know this guy but then you don't really you know it's yeah. how he how he uh, goes through your life but you for years you became a huge Campbell fan and then you became a huge Evil Dead fan yeah because of your segue into also your your affinity for horror that's true I always liked horror horror was always a big part of my life like I would imagine a lot of people of our generation because you know, the 80s and the 90s were the era of the horror franchise and characters like Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees and then Chucky were pop culture phenomenon, really. I mean, they were mainstream and uh, everybody knew who they were, even if you didn't like horror. And then there was a lot of horror television shows, <clears throat> whether it was Tales from the Crypt on HBO or... You know, 80s. Tales from the Dark Side. Tales from the Dark Side. And then Ray ba- Bradbury. 
Yeah, Hulk, Twilight Hulk. Zone, re, you know, like yeah. reboots, and even Hitchcock Presents reboots. And they had a Hammer uh, Hammer horror show that played on like USA over here. Like it was a the Hammer, like an, uh, a UK anthology that was over here. So we were all engulfed. And in of that. course, Werewolf. Werewolf. Who can forget? <laughs> Which we are the podcast that talks about Werewolf. The premiere of podcast. We're contractually <laughs> obligated. More than any other podcast, I would bet the farm. Yeah. That we've brought up the show Werewolf. We don't own the farm anymore, though, because we bet it so many times. <laughs> but so... Um, so horror was a big deal, but yeah. then it was not until... And then when I was in high school, I started to get into horror, but then it was, like, more seriously, I started getting into horror, because that's when I started to fall in love with John Carpenter. You've all heard this story many times. So then we got into college, and then I, like, I really went whole hog. Balls deep. <laughs> I yeah. was balls deep, balls deep in horror. Yeah. I was like, Blake, get on the horror. What's going on? And horror and I loved it. Yeah. And uh, so then Evil Dead came right. Uh, my obsession with Evil Dead started around that time. Yeah. Also, when we were freshmen, there was a film series where a couple of people from the film department, which is where Dion and I were at school uh, and the film school Dion and I were in, they would like monthly do a 16 millimeter screening of something. They would rent a print and they would do screenings. And that's how I saw Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time. I would go to these things. You and I saw The Haunting. That's Robert, right. Robert, Robert Wise's. We saw they showed The Shining there, although The Shining had it was a weird cut. Yeah. They had a couple scenes cut out of it for the 16 print that they were renting. Yeah. And uh, they what showed it, Evil Dead one. The first one. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that's the first time I had seen it. But, yeah. So I was just waiting to Evil Dead. And also, too, I think uh, the reason why I liked it back then, too, was because it was doing a lot of stuff that we were doing in school at the time. I know we annoy some people when we bring up our, our <laughs> collegiate years. You know who you are. Yeah, but um, I think it's relevant here because that's what we used to, you know, it was Raimi, it was almost like Robert Rodriguez. Raimi had like to, to do things on the cheap and you'd see stuff. So it was like, oh, I want to imitate that. I mean, going back and watching this movie tonight, almost every single line that he that Bruce Campbell uh, utters, I have a frame of reference of Blake doing it in a scene that we had to do for school or just reinciting it while we're in the car driving with his friends, everybody like every single line or the or the cadence and all like it's so <laughs> I haven't thought of it for so many years. I'm even with I'm even worse with Army of Darkness. You know, Army of Darkness is just chuck full. I mean you you know it's like the subtlety that I've learned of the Bruce Campbell way of acting from just watching Blake imitate Bruce Campbell and Arm uh, and Evil Dead 2 is is amazing. Now a question I will say to you that sometimes you'll pose to me. I wonder nowadays how how many audiences that are younger than us have seen this movie. Certainly, we've had that show that just came. Uh, what was that on? It was on Stars. Stars. Ash was, versus Evil Dead. And um, I, I don't know how popular that was, and if that was going after a certain audience like us who, who were into that. But I wonder now, going back and watching something like Evil Dead Two, is it as popular as it once used to be? And also. Uh, it seems like for me, it's like this, this almost the styles have changed. Patience, uh, way of telling movies, some of the shots, and that you know. I wonder if if audience will still appreciate it for what it was then. Now, you know. Yeah, I don't. It's a tough question because I I, I really don't know. I, I don't know. And this has gotten brought. We've brought this up before, and in, in, in other aspects of of podcast where we talk about this kind of thing which is that like i have no frame of reference as to what people of a younger generation have seen yeah 
Um, the ones I talk to when I or what, or what's rare, you know. Yeah. What I mean, somebody I, I guessed it on a podcast called Hellbound for Horror a couple of years ago to promote my book, and he asked me to come up with a list of horror, a short list of horror movies that I thought were underappreciated, and I was like, I don't know what's underappreciated. I mean, when we fell in love with a lot of this stuff, it was underappreciated. <laughs> it was underappreciated. It was hard to find. Yeah, you had to hunt. You had to dig. Yeah, a maniac, uh, zombie, all these movies. You know, that been... l- luckily. Companies like Anchor Bay Entertainment at that time were starting to reissue them on VHS or DVD. Well, not even DVD yet. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was that was still VHS. that was still a couple of years away. DVD. The black shell, cl- the black shell clamshell. You know, but you know things like Fulci. You know, us going to horror conventions in like '97, getting Life Force '98, and like yeah. digging through and getting like old, you know, beat up VHSs or European cuts of movies. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, or like the. Bootleg VHS off of a Japanese laser disc was always a big deal. Yeah, because um, oh, when I talk to kids nowadays, you know, I'll bring up Vincent Price, and they're like, "I don't even know who that is." And I'm like, "Do you know the song Thriller?" They're like, "We kind of think so." I'm like, <laughs> "You don't even know Thriller? I, can, I don't even have that frame of reference anymore." Or, you know, so it's like I'm surprised sometimes at you know, be, and it goes to that greater question where we talk about like what's in the public psyche anymore. You know, there's tons of stuff that I think people are into that we're not into that they fills their lives. Sure. But now that you know we're kind of like uh, not sitting on on top, we're kind of uh, you know we have our little niche of what we like to watch, what we like to listen to, whatever. Uh, you know, yeah. Obviously, I think young a younger generation who are horror fans, sure, will m- probably nine yeah. times out of ten have seen at least one of the Evil Dead movies, if not all of them. And also, too. I feel like in the old days you had more of an opportunity to because you were walking into a video store and like, what am I going to rent tonight? And you'd look at the boxes where now I guess yeah. you have that to a certain extent, but I feel like... Flip, flipping through selections on a streaming network is just not the same. Well, you know, one, you got the problem of like, it'll take you all night to find the movie and then you don't want to watch a movie because it takes you an hour. Then two, I've realized now that since all these uh, mamma jammas are generating their own content now... All those old classical movies are no longer available for you to find. So I think this is something you even put on uh, on social media recently where it's like, I was going to reply back to you, like, you just got to start getting the discs in the mail again because <laughs> yeah. now that they, they don't want, I, I my suspicion is they don't want to pay the licensing. Sure. So they're just now generating their own content to compete. And then, because back when I started saying, take Netflix streaming. Uh, you know, I can get anything. I had Kojak on there, blah, 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 real niche stuff where now it's all their original. And then if I want to look for that stuff, it's not available, you know. So it's harder now for you to like randomly, unless it's on like a shutter or something that's genre specific. Yeah. You know, to to, to just walking into a video store, per- perusing the racks. And then you're like, oh, this looks crazy. The skeleton with eyes, Bruce Campbell eyes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you know, going back to kind of something that you brought up, you were saying just a few minutes ago, which is. You know, something about Sam Raimi's movies, there was something appealing to them for people that, for young people that wanted to make movies. And there's a term that I use that Deanne knows, which I say, a movie that makes me want to make movies. There are certain movies that when I watch them, they get me excited for filmmaking. Sure. Makes me want to go out and make a movie. Sure. Uh, usually they're movies that are on a lower budget, but accomplish so much. Uh Fistful of Dollars was one of them. The first Mad Max is definitely one of them. When I watch those movies, I'm like, holy shit, like these movies were clearly done 
shoestring budget, but look what they accomplished. Sure. That's very exciting. Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead is definitely like that. Makes you want to go over and out in the woods and, and, <laughs> yeah, and make a like Grab your friends. Get my camera. We're going out in the woods. Before we get any farther, we should take a moment to talk about our sponsor this week, Care Of. After these messages, we'll be right Blake, I've been feeling so fatigued lately, I got to tell you. How so? Well, you know, I just don't have the energy or the stamina anymore. You know, I just can't get through the day without wanting a nap. And, you know, I've been thinking maybe I should start taking some vitamins and, you know, taking some supplements to get me back into the flow and feel like a, a younger Dion. Well, Dion, I happen to know that you already do take vitamins. You got me there. <laughs> and for all the listeners out there, we have just recently started our programs with a very special company called Care Of. Care Of is a subscription service that delivers vitamins and supplements customized to your specific health needs. Yes, Care Of lets you take a short quiz that you can answer questions about your diet, your lifestyle, your fitness, your health goals, and they put everything together and they give you a personalized plan that's just for you. But ultimately, you get to choose what you want to get, which is fantastic. I went on. I did the five-minute quiz. I like them tailing. This is what you need, A, B, and C. I said, okay. And then they come in these great little packets. They set you up. Get your name on everything, explains what everything does, and then you just take them once a day and they're compostable. <laughs> the packets are compostable. Yes, and to learn more about the compostable packets that they give you every day, you can go to their website and they'll give you tips on how to properly recycle them and compost them. Very, very friendly. For me, it's always been tough with vitamins because eventually like, I just kind of forget to take them. Sure. And then once I'm out of the bottle, then I'd never go to the store to, refill, to get another bottle. But not this because they will automatically refill that for you so there's no worry about when you're out having to go to the store and refill yourself. Yeah. For me, convenience is everything. And Care Of makes taking vitamins and supplements and helping to promote my healthy lifestyle very easy. Also, even though it's a subscription, you can change that subscription at any time. You know, say your needs change. You can go right on the website, change your subscription. And what's great about it is, you know, this is all supporting a very healthy routine. Because how are you going to stay up late and watch movies? Yeah, we need Care Up to help <laughs> us be able to do that. And we also have a very great special offer here for all of our listeners. For 25% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the code SAT, SAT for Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. So Care Of, go check them out, please. And for 25% off at checkout, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code SAT. Back to the show. <laughs> and now, back to the show. So, um, yeah, it, it is rare. I have that in... Uh, to, to bring up film school again, I felt like the big problem for me going to school was that you start psychoanalyzing these movies so you don't enjoy them as much anymore. So I had a long time where I was watching these movies and then I'm thinking about, you know, how they're being shot or how they look aesthetically with the script, the plot. And I remember for me coming out when the first... Um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean came out. I went and saw that in the theater, and it, it kind of reminded me of, oh, why I like movies. Yeah. So that, That's a different category yeah, for so me. It's like there's, I have, the, there's the movies that make me want to make movies, yes. and then there's the movies that remind me why I wanted to make movies. Yeah, so that's what I was going to make the distinction, where there's these movies that are just like, oh, it makes me why I love movies, and makes you want to go do something like that. And then there's these movies like the Night of Living Deads or these shoestring budget movies that are like, you know, oh, I want to just go grab a camera or something or I guess your phone now and go yeah. make a movie, you know. And I wonder, I don't know if that's for everybody who are into movies. Is that maybe people like movies, but then there's maybe the people who also want to you know, go make something out of it. Yeah, I mean, there are people that want to make 
movies for sure. I find horror specifically is the genre where I would say most horror fans would like to make a horror movie. Yeah. There's not, you know, obviously there's people out there that want to make dramas and comedies and all types of films, but there seems to be like the die hard, you know, passionate horror fans. They all want to go out there and do it. Yeah. And so that's why something like Evil Dead or, you know, so many of the great low budget horror movies of the 70s and the 80s were so are so inspiring. Yeah. Because they are accomplishing something special. And groundbreaking sometimes, and, and too. Sometimes groundbreaking. You know, one of the things I love about Sam Raimi is there, in my, off the top of my head, there are just a handful of filmmakers that I can think of whose style is one, impressive, but even more so, so fully fleshed out in their first feature. You know, most filmmakers, they start and then they develop a style over time, or maybe it's the restrictions of having no budget or whatever it is. But there's a handful of filmmakers that I happen, that I love that, you know, when you watch that first film, it tells you everything you need to know that, about them as a filmmaker. Sure. Evil Dead is a perfect example. Something like uh, uh, The Bird with Crystal Plumage by Argento sure. is another one. That was Argento's first feature, but yet... It is the blueprint. Everything else that Argento does after that is basically most everything. It's just a variation of that exact movie. Yeah. <laughs> and stylistically, everything that, you know, most of Argento's obsessions are there. Cronenberg, uh, to a certain extent, with Shivers is kind of like that. But uh, Raimi's definitely one of those guys because stylistically, Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead is so... Uh, like unique you know the way it's shot the crazy uh angles and camera movements that he uses sound design is very unique in that movie like some of those shots is like the camera's like above going over beams looking down and when every time it crosses a beam you hear like a whoop yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> or you know someone's sitting on top of the beams and then they somehow do some kind of weird acrobatic move with the camera and come down and you get to and you're like how did they do that yeah some of the f- amazing camera movement like you learn on the first one them just putting like a a uh a mount onto a two by four and just yeah. running that through the woods and the, the uh, you know. shaky cam, yeah, which is the nickname for that rig. But they created all these rigs, yeah, you know, because Raimi had a very specific vision of what he wanted the movie to look like, and so he had to create ways to get that, yeah, that to get that look and that feel, and that look and that feel are in parts of. uh Spider-Man, the Spider-Man movies, Drag Me to Hell is definitely a throwback to to the Evil Dead movies in terms of sensibility and feel and camera work. Oh, sure. But, you know, that's one of the things that impresses me most about Sam Even Darkman has some of that. Oh, yeah. Darkman's another. Even. uh, Simple Plan. Simple Plan has a little bit of that, but definitely Quick and the Dead. Is we saw that in the theater, Simple Plan. <laughs> we did see Simple Plan together. Uh, the Quick and the Dead, you're right. It's, that's, that's like his you know, homage it's, it's to the his, spaghetti westerns. His, his, homage, his homage to spaghetti westerns and, and Leone, because and, Leone's another filmmaker who had a very specific style, but then Raimi takes that homage of that Leone style and then like 
turns it up to 11, rainy yeah. style, and just gets absurd with it, which is what I love about that movie. Because yeah. it's like all the, not just the close-ups of the eyes, but now it's like crazy, you know, zoom-ins that are rocking, and the, the camera's going, dutching from one side to the next. It's just, he's he's a very unique filmmaker. Um, you know, so obviously not all the movies, the For the Love of the Game or whatever that Kevin Costner baseball yeah. movie I don't. I haven't. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. I doubt that there's as much stylistic camera work in that movie but it's as still his iconic. other movies. You know, but he's also a, a, an interesting director. That um, yeah, I guess you can even uh, equate him to like a Peter Jackson, where they start in such a weird genre, making these low budget movies that then they're able to like segue out of that and make a transition to to straight feature length or straight genre pictures that are mainstream. Sure, you know where. Peter Jackson's doing the Lord of the Rings movies and he's doing the Spider-Man movies at, at some point, you know. So that's yeah. quite an accomplishment to go from these kind of movies to making these mainstream, hugely big budget films when you're starting doing like Dead Alive or the Meet the Meet the Feebles. Sure, or, yeah. You know, uh, Crime Wave, you know, like these, you know, really low budget movies that are actually, you know, you think that a lot of, sometimes these filmmakers stay in that stay in that niche and then their stuff either gets better or gets crappier and then you're just you endure it because you like them but they're able to actually just like uh transcend yeah and become and do a wizard of oz movie <laughs> do a wizard of oz movie exactly or do a, a, a superhero movie you yeah. know or do tolkien you know so what impresses me so much about him is that you know as crappy as the as the production values are for evil dead with the low budget and that the acting's a little stiff. You know, for all the quote-unquote flaws that somebody might put onto Evil Dead, it is a very impressive movie. The first one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a straight movie, right? It's a yeah, whole, it's, 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 you know, people laugh it, at parts of it, yeah. but I don't think any of that's intentional. They laugh at, like, a campiness about it. And this is the one of the ones that kind of, you get into this movie, and this movie starts, you start realizing, I don't remember in my first viewing if I knew the joke, yeah, you know, then I, if I was like, am I supposed to be laughing? But then you start seeing it; it, it does get slapsticky. It becomes like arsenic and old lace, where it's like, yeah, two definitely like. There's it's, there's there's a different transition from first one is more of a straight horror movie, second one is more of a horror movie with some crazy comedic elements, and then the third one, Army of Darkness, is a comedic movie with some horror elements. It's like the Lethal Weapon <laughs> movies, <laughs> exactly. It's the Lethal Weapon series of, of the horror, horror of, of horror movies. Uh, so yeah, it, it's amazing. And then this is, um, you know, they what is that? The first one's nineteen eighty one. Well, here's the here's the thing. Here's an interesting uh, aspect to Evil Dead is they make the first Evil Dead like in the early twenties, like nineteen twenty something like that. In nineteen or twenty, not, yeah. not back in the nineteen. <laughs> it was a silent movie. You know, they were Ramy. They've met in high school. Well, Ramy and Bruce Campbell met in high school, and they became friends. And they they would make uh, movies on Super Eight Millimeter and, and stuff like that. And then Ramy went to college, and that's where he met Robert Tapert or Tappert, who uh, ends up becoming producer Ramy's producer. And then they decide to make a feature. Now they liked horror movies just fine, but they chose to make a horror. They chose to make Evil Dead their first feature a horror movie because you could make a horror movie on a low budget and get a good return, especially at this time when yeah. they're doing it. 
especially like in the eras of drive-ins and grindhouse theaters. Like this was a way to kind of get your foot into the door of filmmaking and st- and make a movie that's profitable. And we got, you know, uh, Spielberg, uh, freaking Romero, maybe Coppola. I mean, Carpenter, all these people. Oh, yeah. I mean, Toby Hooper. I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. All the, like, that was. That's how, that was how you got in. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And, uh, if, you know, you either went the. You know, if you were fortunate enough to go like the Corman route and go through like the Corman school of sure. <laughs> filmmaking, like a Cameron did or something, yeah, yeah, or or you go, you know, and you just you somehow make an independent movie on your own or through other producers, but you make a low budget horror movie it was a way to make a first feature that was profitable. So that's why they make the first one. So they make that in seventy nine and eighty, nineteen seventy nine and eighty is when they make it. It takes a long time. If we ever do the first movie, we'll get more into the specifics because it's a fascinating story. It premieres in 81. They shoot all that in Michigan, too, where they're from? Well, they shot... uh, No, they shot it somewhere else. Like down south? The cabin was down south. Yeah. Um, Maybe the Carolinas or something. Yeah, because we didn't prep for it. I can't remember specifically where the cabin was for the first one. There's a lot of horror fans that... Are very angry. They just right they just dropped their pen and walked out the room. <laughs> like, I'm not listening to the rest of this. This is poppycock. Got a lot on my mind. Uh, but then it doesn't get released until '83. Yeah, it's marked '81 uh, because that's when it premiered. But it premiered in like in Michigan. Like, yeah, it premiered in Detroit. That's, oh, three one three. I like Detroit. Sorry. And uh, but it doesn't come out to '83. So they start making it in '79. It doesn't get released until I think '83. That's a long. So they spend a, they spend a, they spend the majority of their early eighties waiting for this feature to to get picked up and get distributed and to come out. And Campbell's doing his own thing, right? He's starting to act and stuff. He's probably off doing other things. And yeah, well, Campbell did a uh, soap like a local Michigan soap opera. I'm not sure about the years. Yeah, you, you can find commercials like local Michigan commercials that he was in. And is uh, is it in the Detroit area? Are they that? Yeah, they grew up outside of Detroit. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure when Maniac Cop is, what year that is. That's but, uh, but it's gotta be 87? You know, it might be right around the time of Evil Dead 2. Yeah. And Raimi's mentality or his thought processes, and we're just like, hey, I made my horror movie. Let's move on. Like, he didn't have any, he didn't want to make another Evil Dead. Sure. So they make Crime Wave. Yeah. I think it was Ethan Cohen was the assistant editor uh on Evil Dead in New York. They edited it in New York. Uh Ethan Cohen of the Cohen brothers. And so then they formed a relationship with the Cohen brothers. And so then they helped the Cohen brother they to make Evil Dead they made a short film that they could chop around and say, like, look, this is what we want to do in the future for them. So the Coen brothers decide that they're going to make a trailer for Blood Simple, which is a movie that they wanted to make. So then they kind of help uh, the Coen brothers make that trailer. Campbell's in that trailer. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it. I don't know if it's around I don't know if I've ever seen that. Great movie that came out to be Blood Simple. And so they form a relationship with them, and then they decide... Then Raimi writes with the Coen brothers his second feature, Crime Wave. Yeah. Which was a vehicle that was going to star Bruce Campbell. Uh, 
It's also important to point out that Bruce Campbell is also the producer of the Evil Dead movies and Crime Wave. Him and Rob Tappert are the producing team that produces Sam Raimi's movies. So Cable's not just the actor in these movies. He's also a producer. But uh, a studio comes on to, you know, make Crime Wave, and then that's kind of when, like, the shit hits the fan. They don't want Campbell. So Campbell gets bumped down to a minor part in the movie. He's not starring in the movie anymore. They uh, eventually the studio wants to make cuts on, on the on the movie. And it's an odd movie. You've told it, me if you've ever seen it, it is it is loopy. I mean, we talked about you know uh, Gremlins two being like whack town. Yeah. <laughs> It's another summer (laughs) sequel. That's how long ago that was. Crime Wave is Whacktown times a thousand. It is a a loopy, crazy live-action cartoon like you wouldn't believe. And we talked about, we did Mind Warp, but we also did a a special a little while ago called The Fake Shemp where we did a like kind of like a sidecast on Bruce Campbell and we talk all about Bruce Campbell and I think we talked a little more about Crime Wave there and you can go find that in our back catalog here or on our old site podwits.com but it's also who's in that it's um I forget it was somebody there's somebody big in that I, I, I for some reason I'm thinking of the guy from the um the guy from Blade Runner is in it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's the guy from The Fifth Element in The Blade Runner who passed away now. Yeah. You know, he's in it. The guy's in the beginning of Blade Runner. He's with one the turtle. Of the, yeah. Yeah, one of the replicants. Um, he's in it. And there's some crazy stories involving him. Yeah. And the only reason why Crime Wave is important in this discussion is because if it wasn't for Crime Wave's disastrous failure. Because it comes out and doesn't do well, right? Yeah. Not only not only does it not do well financially, but it was a miserable experience for them as filmmakers. Uh, there was their first, you know, for, foray into... June foray. <laughs> Ken foray. Ken foray, June foray. Into, uh, foray into studio way. filmmaking. And sure. It, just, it was a miserable experience. And is it black and white, too? No. There might be black and white sections. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it's not in black Maybe I've white. seen stills. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, so that fails. It was a miserable experience. And so then there's the idea of, okay, if we want to keep making films, what can we do that's going to make money? Because they already have one. They already kind of have like, what, two flops? No. Evil Dead, Evil Dead did, did well, well, but, but it, it just took a while. Yeah. It took, it took a while to get made. You got the con finally, I guess. You like uh, Stephen but King But also because it. it's their first movie and they took money from so many inve- like local Michigan investors, it probably took forever for it to actually become profitable sure. for, so that they could actually make money on it. So they decide, what are, what can we do that's going to make money? And then there's like, well, we could make another Evil Dead movie because Evil Dead was successful. Yeah. But like I said, they probably didn't see a lot of money from it, at least for a long time. So they decide, all right, Raimi was not interested in doing another horror movie, but he says, okay. Let's do Evil Dead 2. And they talked about while they were doing the first Evil Dead, if they ever did a sequel, right? They had an idea while they were on, when they were shooting Evil Dead, they had an idea of like, if we ever did a sequel, they were thinking of what, the medieval times, right? Yeah, there's uh, there's allegedly, a, uh, it's been said that Raimi's, if, if he was going to do a sequel, it was basically what Army of Darkness, the, the concept of what Army of Darkness became. I don't know if the, if the, uh, the feel of what Army Darkness is 
you know, that that wacky craziness. I don't know if that's what he had in mind, but the concept of putting Ash, the character of Ash, which is Bruce Campbell's character in medieval times. See, for me, it'd be, it seems like back when they had the thought of it, or if Evil Dead 2 came out that way, that it would have been a little more on par with like a Time Bandits yeah. or like a Terry Gilliam before you jumped the shark almost by the <laughs> 90s with Army of Darkness. I mean, sure. you know, Army of Darkness is a yeah. great fucking movie, yeah. but it is certainly a departure from the first one. So, yeah, you're right. I wonder if it, if they had been able to make the movie then in the 80s or late 80s. Yeah, I don't know if it would have been as goofy. Yeah, you know, it would have been just goofy Especially because they were coming off of Crime Wave, which was... Super fucking goofy. Yeah. I mean, it really is like a Looney Tunes cartoon. And it's, to life. it's weird, too, because so they have it, uh, the fake Shemp, all this stuff, explain to people what the fake Shemp is, and then, then there's the, the the affinity for the Three Stooges and the slapstick, which comes in here, too. Yeah, I mean, you start to see that with Crime Wave. Fake Shemp, there was a period when the Three Stooges were making their shorts uh, back in the day where Shemp had like a heart attack or a stroke. I know Curly had a stroke. Yeah. I don't remember what happened to Shemp, but Shemp, I don't know if he died. Shemp's, a, Shemp's the uh, an original brother to Mo, and I think Curly's the other brother. Yeah, the how, the, <laughs> the <laughs> go down the, 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 the three five, stooges. Yeah. Uh, so you got Larry, you got Mo Howard, yep. Shemp Howard, and Curly Howard. And then Larry Fine, I think he's like Feinberg, but he shorts it to yeah. Fine, yeah. And so when they were originally with Ted Healy? Ted Healy. It was Shemp. Vaudeville. It was Shemp. And it's weird because Ted Healy is a straight man and they would, he would pull comedy on them and, you know, and then they realize, well, this guy's a drunk. We don't need him. We want to go into talk. He was a straight man and it was like Ted Healy and his stooges. Yeah. And we talk about Ted Healy in The Mad Love. The Mad, because he's in Mad Love. Because he's actually in the movie Mad Love. And it's one of the only screen uh, where you get to see him on screen because they had the idea like, hey, vaudeville's starting to die. You know, people are either going to radio or going into TV or movies. I'm sorry. And he was like, I don't want to go do movies. And they're like, let's just drop him. And he him. was like an abusive drunk. Yeah. On stage, he would get hammered during their performances and he hurt them, you know. The, like really hit them. Yeah. <laughs> so they drop him and they left and then they became what we know now, the Three Stooges. So when they become the Three Stooges, I think they, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't planning on a discussion about the Three Stooges. <laughs> I'm going off of just off the top of my head knowledge that I have about the Three Stooges. But I believe they started out with Curly. Yeah. Even though Shemp didn't want to go, Shemp ended up actually having his own film career. You see him in some of the Jerry Lewis movies. He's in. He's in. I think he's the. Uh, I think he's also in a couple of three stooges. He's also in the Abbott Costello, right? Maybe he's. Yeah, he might be in some of those. He might be in some of the. He's a chef, I think, in one of those when they're maybe that's pirate privates. And then you see Larry. Larry's in a couple. Larry might be in another. Larry's in the Marx Brothers, right? Isn't he like someone who's trying to return something in the big store? You know, so oh, you see yeah. that, you know, you see Anyway, them. so Shemp didn't want to go on with the Stooges. I think he went on to try to have his own career. And so then they got their little brother, Curly. I don't remember what his real name is. Yeah. Um, and they had him shave his head. And because Curly was actually like a ladies man. Yeah. He actually was very depressed having to shave his head to be that character. So then they get Curly, and then Curly has a stroke. Yeah. It's really sad. So then they bring back Shemp so and, that they can continue. And they got to put him, like, also there's an issue where they, they, at the time, I don't know what their finances were, but he had to be maintained in a proper convalescent home or rehab center. And so they had to they had to make some money to pump in to keep him getting better. Yeah. Because isn't there a movie, see, see we're, we haven't researched this, but there, isn't there a movie where 
he can't say anything and they come to him and he smiles, right? You know that remember that's something where the they Mel brought a Gibson movie? Or you're talking about an actual Three Stooges actual movie. Actual Three Stooges movie there, where it's there like is a, a three Stooges movie, but you don't even most people wouldn't even know it's him. Because I think his hair's grown out there and he's like in a wheelchair. Yeah. And they have him have a cameo in there or something. And uh But anyway, so what not you Blake mentioned the Mel Gibson movie that people may forget, but there was a TV movie in the middle of the late nineties. Yeah. That, that they was did produced by Mel Gibson. Yeah, and, and it had Michael, Michael Chiklis, Chiklis yeah. as Curly, I think. Yes, Curly. You know, and then they were talking about doing a straight biopic some years ago, but then that turned into a crazy a town. Brother. <laughs> Yeah, with, with the first appearance of Kate Upton and the rest is history. Which was actually pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so Shemp replaces Curly because Curly had a stroke, and then something happens to Shemp. I don't remember what it is. The folklore was Shemp died in the backseat of a car telling a joke. That's what I always heard. And so, but the problem was when they shot all those shorts, they didn't shoot like one short at a time. They used all the locations, and so they actually shot several shorts all at the same time. So they would use one location. Get get everything they needed out yeah, of that location. Even for, if it's, for several different films. It's like how soap operas used to do that. Soap yeah. operas would shoot everything out of order because you get what you need and then you go to the next setup. So they basically had big chunks of several movies already, several short movies already shot, but they couldn't finish them without Shemp. So then they got someone who was supposed to be like, was supposed to be Shemp, you know, just in the background or like covering his face, but it, it was always noticeable that he wasn't sh- that that wasn't actually Shemp. So Ramey and and Campbell and their crew, which included Josh Becker and Scott Spiegel, they always they all loved Three Stooges, and every time they saw this fake Shemp, that was their thing. Like, oh, it's that's the this is that's the fake Shemp in this short. So then, when they make Evil Dead, Evil Dead shot the first Evil Dead shot over so much time. In multiple locations, they couldn't always get everybody to come back. So then they start like putting somebody else in the makeup, or they need they don't have Campbell, so they, Ted Raimi's feet are walk across the floor, and so all these people that were filling in for the for the main cast of all these people, they get billed in the credits as fake shemps, and so that's when uh, Raimi and his collective start this phrase. Fake shemps. Maybe it's start. Maybe they started using it in their Super Eight days. I don't know. But on a professional level, these fake shemps were people that were filling in for the people that couldn't be there for that day. And if you look at the Evil Dead two credits, they have the fake shemps at the end, who was like the stand-ins. And even we brought up Quick and the Dead. Isn't you told you told me the story? Isn't that that Bruce Campbell was a stand-in there for maybe um, what's well, his name? It was always they was supposed to be a, he, he, they shot something with him and he, didn't, and he got cut out, but it was. It ended up being this big story. The guy who's in the Clint Eastwood movies who plays the uh, Commissioner Gordon. Oh, Pat Hingle. Pat Hingle. Yeah. There was a scene with Pat Hingle. (laughs) There was a scene with Pat Hingle who plays a bartender in Quick and the Dead. And he didn't like the way he was supposed to act because it was like his daughter was going to be raped or something. And he didn't, he wanted to take his anger out. He thought his character would be more aggressive. So apparently, so the story goes, and I think Campbell might write about this in his first book, If Chins Could Kill, um, that he goes and he get, puts on the, Raimi has him go and get his Briscoe outfit and come, and they tell Pat Hingle that they're shooting the scene where it's like, now nah, you're so angry, you're going to take it out on this guy. So then, and but they don't even actually roll camera. They just do it. To they pull a, <laughs> to pull a fast one on a pole, 
poor Pat Hingle. <laughs> and so Pat Hingle just like beats the shit out of Bruce Campbell. And so, oh. Pat, so he gets a fake Shemp credit. Yeah. All this is a long way around to point out how obsessed these guys are and Raimi specifically with the Three Stooges. Yeah. And I think coming off of Crime Wave, which was supposed to be like this crazy slaps the comedy, uh, for all of you that have seen Evil Dead 2, you know that Evil Dead 2 takes a very different t- turn from the first Evil Dead into some pretty wacky Three Stooges-esque, Looney Tunes-esque comedy. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's even homages to the, for in the first Evil Dead. There's a shot of blood coming out of the, like, the plug holes, like a plug so- a socket. Yeah. The electrical, electrical socket. So- the yeah. electrical socket. There's blood coming out. And that's an homage to a Three Stooges short where they're plumbers. Yeah. And they screw up the plumbing and water starts coming <laughs> yeah. out of everywhere, including the electrical sockets. Or even that they make reference of, which I didn't realize, is that the in Evil Dead 2 with the with the eyeball shooting out. And that's also from an, uh, Three Stooges where the, something shoots out with her cooks or something. And the and the woman, he, you know, she sucks in, in the uh, skit. That's all that. Remember the, there's a great one where they're working in a. Restaurant. It's with the clams. Yeah, it's Curly's trying to eat. Then they said it's alive. My favorite one is them with the uh, in court. You know, I used to have that. Like it was one of these found public domain. I had it for like a dollar. This really shitty eighties, you know, cardboard box where it's like it's painted all weird. Like it's all colored weird, and you know that was. Yeah, the, yeah. And then you get the VHS, and it's you know a ten minute VHS because all it has is a short on it, so it's very wide when you look in. And that was it. Was the courtroom one? You know. Uh, would they have a bird or something? It was like you know, all kind of crazy <laughs> stuff, yeah. So, uh, Raimi wants his first inclination, allegedly, is that he wants to make basically the concept of Army of Darkness for a second movie. But they knew that they weren't going to be able to obtain the budget for a period medieval film. So then they decide that they have to come up with other ideas. And initially, Raimi's, there's even reports that initially Raimi didn't even want to direct it they were going to produce it and i think maybe josh becker was going to direct it and there was scripts written but ultimately raby decides that he's going to direct it and he approaches an old high school friend of theirs and they made films together in high school scott spiegel and he says i want you to write this movie with me and scott spiegel's like okay but like why me like why do you want me to do it because his stuff was and he goes on to direct. He does one of the Hostel sequels. I mean, he's made movies. He did that one, maybe it's called The Intruder, which is a horror movie in a grocery store, like a slasher movie in a grocery store that they all have cameos in. I believe that's a Scott Spiegel movie, if I'm not mistaken. And Becker goes on to make other movies like Thou Shall Not Kill. Um, and these are all guys from their Michigan group. But Raimi says to Scott Spiegel, remember that Super 8 film you made? Uh called Attack of the Helping Hand. Yeah. Which was a spoof of the hamburger helper hand. But he ends up going crazy. <laughs> yeah. And becomes a, a murderer. And he says, well, I want to do that as a feature film. And Scott Spiegel's like, okay. Like, I get, okay, like, I get what you're going yeah. for. And so then they go and they start writing Evil Dead 2. Now, I've heard... Conflicting stories, which is that they sh- they wrote it in Michigan. They had offices in Michigan, and Ramey and Spiegel were very easily uh, distracted. So they got they had offices in an old 
dentist's office. And so they put Ramy and Spiegel in an office down the hall away from everybody else because they would get distracted. And then they would just hear them laughing, coming up with crazy ideas. And then the other story is that they wrote it in a house in L.A. Um, they had a lot of weird occupants, right? <laughs> With because they and I know that they did share a house at some point with a lot of interesting people, including the Cohen brothers, uh, Francis McDormand, uh, Holly Hunter, Kathy Bates, also apparently Kathy Bates, and apparently they read it. Uh, they there's also part of the story is you can find research that says that they wrote it there, and that the character of Bobby Joe was actually inspired by Holly Hunter, who does have like an interesting kind of southern. Accent and, and she was trying out for like a, a hooker in a movie, or so she has this outfit on that they found really great. And then she kind of was like, you know, screw you, I'm doing this for an audition. And then they yeah, were like, yeah. something he's Ramey talks about it in the commentary, I think, for Evil Dead 2. One of the commentaries for the Evil Dead movies, it's been a lot, it's been at least a decade since yeah. I listened to any of those commentaries, but he does say something about like she comes down for an audition, prepared for. Pre- dressed for an audition to play a hooker and Raimi's like, wow, you look really nice. Yeah. <laughs> she got really angry because she was dressed all slutty and he thought she looked nice. But that is a crazy house. Yeah, that's a crazy. I mean, the Coen brothers being in there and then the Coen, all, some of the Coen brothers crew. And then at this time you have uh, Stephen King comes into play here because Stephen King's doing, he gets a picture deal well, with... part of it is that... So they start... They have the idea for Evil Dead 2. They're working on it. Maybe even at this point they have a full script. Uh, I'm not sure. But the, the where Dion's going is that they're having trouble uh, getting financing for it. So they're going everywhere, going to the usual suspects. They're going everywhere trying to get um, funding, and they're having trouble. And apparently Stephen King gets wind that they're having trouble. And he's take a deal. <laughs> well, he's he just worked a picture deal out with Dino De Laurentiis, and he's working Maximum Overdrive, which he ends up directing himself. Silver Bullet is part of that deal. And Silver Bullet, what year? Silver Bullet, eighty five. I think eighty five. Yeah. Um, I think Maximum Overdrive is eighty seven or eighty six. Uh, they talk about thinner being in this. Uh, I bring that up because our friend Randy Jurgensen uh, ends up being one of the producers on that, yeah, or the that line doesn't producer. get made till much later. Yeah, he, but, but there he was, works on that in the nineties. But there was a deal. I think F- 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 Firestarter might have been originally part of that deal. Yeah, um, some of these lesser because aren't, aren't those? May I wonder if Running Man is part of that because this is under those the Richard Bachman pseudonym that Stephen King had that he wrote some of these under. I think he wrote Running Man on that. I think he wrote Thinner under that. He might have written Firestart. No, maybe not Firestart, but he's written. So I wonder if he's... And his movie, uh, The Dark Half, is kind of about... All the two different... His different personalities. And and that has something to do with... uh, I had read originally where it's like, if you put a book out with a publisher, and then you're so prolific where you're able to poop something out within, say, six months, there's a problem where you could actually be competing against yourself. So sometimes publishers are like, well, well, you can't get too much on the market because then there's like a gluttony. So I guess what King supposedly, the lore is what he started doing is he started writing under pseudonyms so he could put stuff out at the same time and not have to worry about any kind of uh, conflict of interest between companies or competing against himself. Um, and Maximum Overdrive is based off the short trucks that he wrote yeah. for maybe Night Shift but, or something. And Stephen King was one of the early big proponents of Evil Dead, which he saw maybe at a festival or something, and he wrote a quote 
I mean, he didn't write a quote, but he he gave them a quote that is on the box of all the early Evil Dead uh, VHSs, and it was what made a lot of people pay attention to the first Evil Dead was that Stephen King really liked it, and they had a quote of him saying that this is like the scariest, most grueling whatever movie you'll ever see. So Stephen King was always a big proponent of it. So when he gets wind that that Evil Dead 2 is not, uh, they're having trouble getting Evil Dead 2 made. He's got this deal with Dino De Laurentiis, and he goes to Dino De Laurentiis, and he says, you know what you should do is you should back Evil Dead 2. Yeah. And, and th- then don't they, and then they also, they bring him in, and they, they for a minute, they're talking to Raimi about maybe directing thinner, and it doesn't go anywhere. That's, uh, again, yeah, allegedly, you can't, uh, can't trust everything on the internet. I would imagine that that could be, you know that seems that seems like a realistic thing that he's already got this property, yeah. And apparently, Raimi turns it down. Uh, but then Dino goes and takes a look at how much money Evil Dead made, you know, nationwide. I mean, uh, worldwide, because Dino De Laurentiis is an Italian producer. His main concerns are the international market, not sure. necessarily the U.S. market. And he saw that Evil Dead had, you know, partially probably because it was, you know, it was a video nasty in England, so. You know, that kind of publicity of like it not being allowed to be seen places ends up making it more desirable. And I guess Evil Dead did pretty well overseas and Dino sees, sees that it made money and he said, OK. And then, then, and then they he had he just built a huge facility down. In, I think it's North Carolina, maybe um, D.O.D. to Rentis, And that's where they shoot. I think some of Maxim Overdrive shoot down there, but they shoot a lot of stuff down there. And then. Uh, we've covered something else, and I forgot what it was. But when it when they went bankrupt down there, they they just had an empty facility, and somebody went down and used it to shoot something in there. I want to say the abyss, but maybe it's not the abyss because of a water tank. But that could be that they shot the abyss maybe in a in a nuclear site that didn't get finished. But he had a big facility down there, so he was making things down in like the Carolinas area. And um, uh, at this time too, what year? Is Darkman like 1990? That's in the 90s, yeah, because that's post. That's Batman. That's post Batman. Yeah, because I because I wonder at that time it's like his, we talk about in the Shadow podcast that like Raimi was looking to do a Shadow. Uh, uh, and at least as of a couple of years ago, Raimi owns or did own up in like I said as of a couple of years ago the rights to make a Shadow movie. Like he was, but at the time he couldn't get it. But right? at the time he was coming off of. You know, Evil Dead Two. <laughs> so they were like, "We won't give you the rights to do." So that's when he ends up makes he makes his own Shadow movie called Dark Man. So maybe at that maybe that's another reason why he doesn't want to do another horror movie like Thinner or something because Thinner doesn't come out to what the ninety five or ninety six. Yeah, you know, I don't even. I, it's been so long since I've seen Thinner that I don't even know if De Laurentiis still has anything to do with it. No, I think by that time, I think his I think his company would have dissolved. But when we talked to Randy Jurgensen some years ago, and I think the second interview we did with him, he elaborated a little bit on him going to have to go up to Maine and secure the locations for all that kind of stuff and all the rigmarole. He's, yeah. like, he's like, I'll never do that again yeah. uh, with all the stuff he was saying. So they end up securing the money to do this, Evil Dead 2. Yeah, and, they used Dino, and then they decide they're going to shoot it in, was it Wadesboro, North Carolina? Yeah. Which is where the color purple was shot. Because I think uh, Spielberg had worked with Dino, because I guess this is where Dino's facility was. So he maybe Dino De Laurentiis half financed the color of purple or something like that? Yeah, I don't know, because there's also reports that, like they kind of went there to not have to answer to anybody. So I don't know. But I think you're right. Dino did own a... He had like his own studio. He had something huge down there. But you're right, yeah, because they, he was worried about too. 
uh, he didn't want to go shoot it anywhere partic- particular because he didn't want them looking over his shoulder with stuff He didn't like that. want what happened with Crime Wave. Crime Wave, which yeah. I think they shot basically all of that movie in Michigan, but I, I still... There was a lot of interference with the yeah. with, with the producers. So evidently, the house that's used in um, uh, the color purple is like the house that they used to set up as their office. But then they go shoot out in the woods, and then they shoot a lot of these interiors on a. Uh, is it a defunct middle school in Wadesboro, or is it something that I, it's out a of, high school? But I think it's during the summer because we just brought up. I think the movie was called Avalanche when we were talking about the cliffhanger podcast and that's the movie it's a tv movie that was really big at the time that has the gentleman from the fugitive and it was like his last movie he did before he died but they shot when these people are stuck up on the it's about a movie where these people get stuck up on a mountain and they have to go helicopter them off a mountain the uh close-ups of them on the mountain were shot at this town in their high school gym and that people talk about the affinity of like oh it was great going into the gym and seeing them so this must have been a common thing back in the day like oh you know we have this is basically a sound stage an empty gym so we can i guess if you could support the electrical bring in like the electrical you know you could make whatever you want there yeah they end up taking over a local high school in wadesboro north carolina uh and then they there they make the main production offices are like the principal's office and all that stuff. They put all the special effects guys, the makeup guys, into the science lab. Yeah. And then they build the set of the interior of the cabin inside the gymnasium. Sounds very much like my science project. <laughs> that movie used to scare the crap out of me. Remember because all the stuff would open and all that kind of a thing. And they want four million to do the movie, but then Laurentis only gives them three point six, and supposedly because of that discrepancy between the $400,000 are not able to do their medieval idea. So like you're saying, they, they revamp the idea. They bring what's-his-face in, um, Spiegel, and then he comes up with this idea that's a little... And then the, the other thing, which I didn't really realize until this viewing, is that so in these movies, part of the joke becomes the rehash of the story. No yeah. pun there with the hash and the rehash. <laughs> and they couldn't get the rights to show any of the footage from the first movie. Because a different company, I think maybe New Line, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, I could be wrong, they owned the original film. So when they want to go back and let people know in the sequel, well, this is what happened you know, previously on Evil Dead. Yeah. They couldn't show any of that, right? So they had to go shoot it all. So that's when they eliminate, they just kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah so they end up doing a recap. I think originally they were going to recap it with all the, not the actors, but the characters of the first one. Because in the first Evil Dead, it's not just Ash and his girlfriend, Linda. It's Ash and his sister and their friends, I think Ash Williams. I never knew his last name. There is like a group of friends go into the cabin. Um, The recap, I guess to simplify things. The recap is just Ash goes to the cabin with his girlfriend. And I didn't really, it, it's just a cabin they stumble across, right? He's just like, I hope the guy doesn't come home when he's playing the <laughs> piano. It's like, so it would lead me to believe either they're just driving through the woods and then they're serendipitous like, hey, look, it's getting dark. Let's save this cabin. Or Ash is like, hey, I know this cabin in the woods that, you know, I've been to a couple times and we can go and have a good time there and no one's going to bother us. And since they recapped it for the first, for this one, they decided to recap it again in, uh, Army of Darkness. With Bridget Fonda, right? With Bridget Fonda as Linda, yeah. And was she was she Bridget Fonda back then? Was that the joke that she's, I mean, she, did she'd done already La Femme Nikita, or I'm sorry, Point and Overturn, or... Yeah, I don't know. You know, what I wonder years, if... What year that came out. You know, if she was Bridget Fonda I mean, when she, she did that. she was still a Fonda. Yeah, but I mean, if she was still, you know... I think she had been in stuff. I don't know if she was in that yet. 
Yeah. But she did it. She wanted to do it because she was such a big fan of the first two movies. Yeah. Bridget Fonda, from all accounts, seems awesome. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I think when we did Suspiria, we brought up like that she's a big Suspiria fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's oh, because big... they, were, they were doing a scene from Single White Female. And the guy who shot the cinematographer on Single White Female is the same cinematographer of Suspiria. The original Suspiria, yeah. And then she's in Simple Plan. She's in Simple Plan, with yeah. With Raimi. Yeah. She's in Jackie Brown, which may be my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. But, so they have to shoot a, re, a new, op- they have to shoot a recap. Yeah. And so that's how that happens. And then I love the opening with the Necronomicon, and they say, like, you know, when the seas ran red with blood, that, that this is when this thing was written and all that. The, it always scared me because I remember they had an edition that came out that looked like the Necronomicon, and you had bought it, and it has that foam face, so I was always really afraid to touch it, that it was going to shut on me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? that, that, that was for the first Evil Dead, but they also did one for Evil Dead too, with yeah. a different sculpt for the face now mine's pretty dried up but because it was like if you see them at if you see them at uh at conventions a lot of them are like torn and stuff because that latex it just dries out right that foam latex got really it it reminds me like brittle you know yeah it's like when you you buy like one of those pumpkins with a face on it and then you know you can start picking it you know (laughs) that kind of a material um and then so he's there with his with with her and he's serenading her. Does he act? Is he doing a Bob Hope impression there when he's when he's uh, he's watching? And he says to her, he's like, uh, I forget what he says to her. He's like, Come on, babe. He says something to her, and I could swear Bruce Campbell's throwing a a, a, a Bob Hope impression in there, which is completely lost. I on. wouldn't put it past him, or if it's just kind of a cheesy. It's actually he plays a character that's kind of cheesy, an asshole, but. Kind of like a like a, a womanizing asshole in Crime Wave that has yeah. like a very like come on baby yeah kind of thing. The funny thing about that stuff is when I interviewed Joe Laduca, who did the soundtrack, did the music for the for the Evil Dead movies. Where'd you interview him? I interviewed him on Scored to Death the podcast. Wow, <laughs> available now. Available now. Um, when I talked to him about it, he kind of. He ins- he insinuated that to him looking back on it now, that piece of music, that piano piece of music that Campbell is playing is a bit of a mistake because it is a fairly difficult piece of music <laughs> to play. And he thought it was maybe too complicated and that uh, Ash wouldn't know how to play it. But in the context of an Evil Dead movie, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and then I point out, yeah, it's like, but you know, don't you think Ash would learn how to play one piece of music really well to kind of impress the ladies? And he laughed and he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. Cause he works at smart. <laughs> and then I also, uh, it's funny if you listen to that interview, cause I, I then go into how great that piece of music is and how beautiful it is and how it also becomes like the, so much of the, uh, the symbol of their love and then it gets brought back later when he's got a you know when he's burying the body or when he's in the that's all very quick when he kills her <laughs> he just takes her head off he's like ah oh, and then he's and then when he's in the in that work shed uh and and you know and she's like and she turns back into a regular self when her head's in the vice and then the music of that piece of music comes back up so i start pointing out like all these great like melodramatic moments where that music is very important and he's like okay you convinced me it was good <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I love that piece of music. Yeah, like I think that, like, like I said, that 
And that's written for the second one. That's not shows up in the first one. No, there's another piece of like, there's another love theme in the first one that's also great, but uh, different than this one. Um, you know, Laduca says, you know, look, it kind of had to be so passionate because it's also, like I said, it's a symbol of their relationship. And uh, Laduca said something that I never thought of, but he kind of implied that it's Ash's love for her, not just the evil dead, the Necronomicon, but it's the Necronomicon combined with his love for her that resurrects her. Like he loves her that much. That it that vicariously gets her to come out and do that like Yeah. That that's what causes her to become that's what he like implies. He doesn't go into like any great like yeah. you know, like uh theory about it. And but it, he implied I was like, that's an interesting theory because he was talking like, Well the music had to be that passionate because it's his passion that's that is what brings her back. Yeah. It's such a it it the it goes so quickly when she when she's t- you know they turn the the tape player on and you hear the voiceover and you get the backstory of what happened and then the the uh, the words are actually spoken and this stuff's conjured up and then she's taken over and then once you're taken like the rules are very once you're taken over it seems that you're screwed and you only can be killed this you know that you may not even be saving your soul once you're killed and then it's like he decides he doesn't he's not going to leave he he buries her first. You know, he's so distraught or he beheads upset. her. Yeah, he be that's what he beheads. I don't in self defense though. But I don't think he's doing it purposely. He's defending himself, and yeah. then she just he beheads her, and he's like, "Fuck!" And, he's like, it's like my, and then my he girl. buries the body. Yeah, and then he tries to leave, and that's when he can't get out of there. And then the bridge is gone. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to re. Yeah, no. I mean, we we're not recapping it now, but I'm just saying, you know, like if you haven't seen Evil Dead Two, yeah. it's a very simple. The one of the the beauty of it. Is that the Evil Dead movies, especially the first two? It, it's a there's not a, not a whole lot happens. I yeah. mean, it's somebody trapped in a cabin with an evil force. Yeah, and they remade the, it a couple of years ago. Straight the first one, 2013, yeah. I think, which was pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's a totally different yeah. vibe. It's like more contemporary. It's freaky. Uh, it's just amazing the stuff they're able to accomplish in the older one. It's just the, the camera tricks and all this stuff. And then the absurdity they get to in the second one, you know, where they, you know, all of a sudden you realize when like he's fighting these things off, it gets kind of funny where he's whacking this. He's, he's getting hurt. He's getting hurt. He's getting hurt. You know, you know well, we're, when we watched it tonight, because I mean, I watched it not too long ago because I ended up actually talking about all the Evil Dead stuff on Wrong Reel a couple years ago or a year and a half ago or something. Um, so I watched them like a year and a half ago or so. Uh, and I watched, I actually end up watching Army of Darkness semi-regularly because <laughs> it's totally watchable. Sure. Why not? Um, but watching it this time, you know, I'm often impressed by movies that are totally unique. Um. And there really aren't that many of them. Maybe they're unique when they come out, but then the success of them or whatever ends up spawning, I'm not going to say rip-offs, but, you know, like... Copycats. Yeah, or just... Homages, uh, pastiches. Yeah, or tributes, tributes, you know, stuff like that. Like, like, you know, like Halloween sparked, you know, the slasher genre. Sure. The success of Halloween... Spark the, the the slasher genre. You get these kinds of things. You know, we talk about it whenever we talk about like an Italian 
movie. We talk, you know, yeah. we talk about Italian horror. We talk about how the Italian way is to find something. At least back then in the film industry, it was to find something and exploit the shit and out exploit of it. the shit out of it until nobody could stand it anymore. Yeah, um, the Italian way. But there's a there's a there are a, there are some movies that come out and then they just stand as being totally unique. Phantasm is like that. Yeah. Phantasm, whether you like it or not, you can't deny that that movie is the, the idea of that movie is so off the wall. When are they remaking that? <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Well, he's still making them. I know. I so, know. Um, and there's no other movie like that. Um, at least not not popular enough to, to that I know of, that yeah. I, that I know of it. Evil Dead. For as simple as the idea is, and there certainly are movies about kids going to a log cabin, whether it's a Cabin in the Woods, which is kind of a, a, a very fun, spoofy uh, movie, but not a parody. Yeah. Um, Deer Hunter. <laughs> if it's like Deer Hunter or Cabin Fever or whatever. I mean, it's kind of because it's kind of its, its own genre. Yeah. Even with that. That's trap. Oh, it's not in the woods. Never mind. Even with the fact that it is such a simple idea that 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 ba- very basic concept is not original, the movie itself, both the first one and the second one, maybe even more so the second one, is totally unique. There's yeah. no other movie that's like Evil Dead 2. Well, you know, that's why I was thinking of that era. He's kind of like on par with the Peter Jackson. Like when you watch like... Uh, Dead Alive, and what's the other movie of that era? Bad That's it. Bad Taste, or even Meet the Feebles, which yeah. is more Muppety. But the, you know, it's even though he's uh, in New Zealand doing that stuff, it's like it's that level Jackson, of that. Yeah, totally. Jackson's doing it too. You in know, terms of the, how he has his own satire, his own thing. Um, people are always shocked to hear that. Like, I like the Evil Dead movies, but I don't. I'm not that big of a fan of the Peter Jackson sure. movies of. The, the same ill. I mean, as much as I'm comparing them, there are two different things. But yeah. I mean, in the example of the satirization there and the kind of spoofing, you know, of the genre. Yeah. T- turning it on its head. But even just going back to what we were talking about earlier with Raimi's style, even just that aspect of it, like nobody else makes a movie like Sam Raimi. There are stylistic filmmakers that do crazy camera angles and things like that, but... There's something about the way Raimi does it that's so specific to Sam Raimi. Yeah. And that's kind of the most beautiful thing about Evil Dead 2 when you watch it, is that it is this singular vision. Yeah. And its tone is so wacky and yet horrifying at yeah. the same time. It's 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 makes you laugh one second and then it makes you scream this, like a second later. It's... He's kind of a genius when it comes to that. And I don't, I always say the word genius is thrown around too often. But if you analyze genius as being, you know, like people are, have, have genius in different aspects. I think Raimi, the way Raimi approaches a movie is kind of, 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 of it, it is kind of a genius. You wonder if, you know, since we're so far removed now from that era, if if you're when you were, would go to see that, and when that kind of thing was new, you hadn't seen anything like that before. If you're in the theater or watching it at home, if you know, one minute you are laughing, one minute you're shocked. You know, because now I think a lot of it plays for laughs. But 
at the you know a lot of the special effects and stuff back then is still quite good. Yeah. You know, if it's playing, you know, on this game, oh my god, it's repulsive. Maybe I don't want to look or it's horrifying, but then it's silly. It's almost very much like a even an homage to like one of those EC comic tales in their crypts, you know, where with the you know, setting up creep show, you know, where he's yeah. setting up where he has to cut the body up or this or that, you know. Yeah. And then you start getting in the stop motion with when his girlfriend, when Linda comes back from the dead. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll get into the special Yeah, it's, it's very much like almost something out of like a Beetlejuice when she's walking around. And then by the end of it, you have everything under the sun. You've got, yeah. you know, stop motion. You've got puppetry. You've got latex. You've got special, you know, <laughs> practical effects. You have everything. It's just... Um, well, I think, you know, you kind of hit on something that I think it's probably a problem with Sam Raimi's movies. And I think... Um, I think some people saw Darkman yeah. and didn't quite get it. Uh, and by it, I mean tone. I think because Raimi's, Raimi's style is so specific and so not just stylized, not just stylized, but like hyper realistic. Like when we talked about, it was one of the things that I found very disturbing about Gremlins too. Was that it was <laughs> number two, the sequel. Yeah, yeah. Of uh, the the new match, which we did a couple of weeks ago, uh, or a month or so ago. Um, I think people can watch Raimi's style and not fully understand that it's intentional. Um, we had a, a, a someone that we went to college with who told me a story once that he went to go see Dark Man with his dad, and his dad was like hating it, but then. Chris, uh, the per- Chris is the guy's name. He started laughing, and then his dad was like, "What? Why is it? F- what are you laughing at?" He's like, "Well, this is, this is funny, you know." But and when you when you realize that, like, oh, like this is supposed to be this way. It's not just like bad. Yeah, it's not like cheap or uh, yeah, or corny just... <laughs> or you, <laughs> you know, know like, like it's Ed Wood stuff. Yeah, it's intentional. It's intentional. I, I always kind of suspected that. It, it, I don't know what your thoughts about Quick and the Dead are now, but I know when we were in college, you didn't like it, and I always felt like it was f- the brief discussions that we had about it. I mean, we never went into f- deep discussions about it, but I always felt that like that could have been a, one of the reasons why you didn't really like that movie is because at the time you were kind of feeling like, like oh, he's just doing. A Leone thing, yeah, but it's like he is, but he's doing it in such a way that really, really makes it ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's an absurd, it's extreme. Like, it's almost like a parody yeah. in some ways. And I think you know, for me, there have been movies where like I don't like it, I don't like it, and then one day it clicks to me for me that like oh, like I'm not, I haven't been watching it with the right glasses. Yeah. Um, and I think people can watch something like Evil Dead and see the 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 ball the eyeball flying, go into the woman's mouth and be like, "Oh, this is ridiculous." Yeah. But when you look at it in the context of the whole movie and what else Raimi's doing in it, it's really not that I love that gag in the movie, but I think gags like that, if people are looking at it through the wrong lens, all that stuff can be considered. A negative, yeah. But I think for people that, uh, and maybe, and also, it's just never going to be everybody's taste. Like, yeah. not everybody's going to like it. But I think there are people that, if they find the lens that they should be watching it through, will then be able to be like, "Oh, I get it." See, for me, I was worried 
watching it now if 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 certain things still hold up because of the idea of like the pacing is a little different of the storytelling so like when you have the shot that goes around 360 slowly like you know people like oh i've seen this before so they're looking at their watches when we watch it we're like oh this is genius you know there's a lot of there's an element of it which i think is lost i mean i could be wrong but i feel like some of it could be lost on younger people in a sense because like when we went to film school we tried to do some of these gimmicks because we realized how this stuff was being done like that robert rodriguez stuff where he's like using like a like a a wheelchair as like a dolly so like i wonder if some of this stuff like that kind of filmmaking where he's for evil dead the original certainly where they're 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 finding how to do things on the cheap to make it work, but they're inventing, they're pioneering certain things. If that's lost nowadays, because you don't have to do that anymore, you know, you don't have this big old bulky camera that you have to move around. You could do it yeah. on your phone or whatever. So I wonder if some of that of the art is kind of lost. The appreciation on for what's happening, yeah, or even, with a context of time, or even a knowledge of it, you know. Yeah. Or if you're looking at it, you're like, oh, this is. But this is that. This is a broader stroke on storytelling nowadays where people just don't have the patience for anything anymore they're used to that quick 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 cut cut you know you, you know like a we talk about that all the time like a drama from 50 years ago won't do well today even how it's written script wise so i wonder if, if if this suffers from any of that now with certain people uh or like the appreciation for what they had to do and get things done that you don't need to have worry about anymore because you don't have to you know you're shooting it all on video you know yeah it's hard. No, you're not shooting MOS, you know, yeah. <laughs> in the woods, you know, at three in the morning. Now, on, a, on a different note, um, aside from, like, Raimi's mad ge- genius as a filmmaker uh, and its exhibition in this movie, the other thing that is totally amazing about this movie is Bruce Campbell's performance. Yeah. And I will... To my dying breath, you will fight. <laughs> I will fight to the for the for the I for the feeling that to me, Bruce Campbell's uh, performance in this movie is one of the unsung great performances of all time. In, in all of cinema. Yeah, he's channeling in this. He's channeling uh, Michael Landon at times. He's channeling for me. Uh, Chuck Heston, Cary Grant, maybe even a little Eastwood. I mean, he's got so much going on. And then the physicality, I think that's lost on people. When you look at, like, some of the stuff when his hand gets possessed. You know, when I was little, you know, I mean, we talk about this all derives from a hamburger helper ad. You know, but, you know, I know there's a a Peter Lorre movie called The Beast with the Five Fingers that was all based off a short story. And I think we've brought it up before when we talk about Peter Lorre. But it's this idea that's from this very scary short story where it's this hand becomes alive and it's now coming i forget what the parameter is but it's coming back to haunt the person then you don't realize if it's in the guy's head or if this is real hand and then you see that you know they satirize that kind of i don't know if it's the basis for it but you get that in the adams family with um sure what is the it? thing the thing i was gonna say cousin it that's the, the hair the thing so it's like but then none of this is based off of that this is all based off of just the funny hamburger happer that which is even freaking me talking <laughs> to yourself you know um so when his hand gets possessed but he's doing like some of that when you when when they're in like the semi close up from like maybe his chest up, you know, it, I, it's almost certainly him doing it. Yeah. But for some, for me, it's like it doesn't. You, you never question. Yeah, it's believable. Yeah, you you that he's then, not controlling. You know, because then it, I I completely forgot that there was that little like <laughs> you know. And then it's like you're trying to figure out like you know. But it's 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 like how how where's that sound coming from? Well, it's it. 
that's not that doesn't matter. It's that that thing now has become its own little entity, you know, and it's become this crazy, almost like the thing from uh, Adam's family that is doing yeah. this. So when he does all this physicality of him, you know, and then the the horrible heartbreak of where he's like, give me back my, you know, all that, <laughs> the tragedy, the epic tragedy, like that should be your, your song yeah. is the ballad of, of <laughs> Ash Williams where it's like, you know, all this stuff he's lost or, or, or the, or the, yeah, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a story about loss for sure. You know, or the, or the pain, the physical, you know, he's getting his ass kicked and then he's, you know, well, obviously, yes, he pulls off a physical performance that is akin to people like Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd and Chaplin. And does he have any background? You read up on his bios. Is he, I mean, aside from being a, a physically fit guy, I, I almost look at him as like the, um, he's like the alternative Indiana Jones in this Ash, Ash like yeah. how he looks, but he's jacked. I'm sure he got ready for the role, but yeah, he never he, was a heavier guy or anything. No, but for this movie, he, he did a workout regimen. Sure. Um, probably took his care of vitamins. Yeah, as you should. <laughs> uh, he would work out two hours every day before they shot. Yeah, there was the, he had like a gym, like a like a weight set up in the school where they were shooting, and he would he would work out every day. Um, but aside from that physicality, the 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 command he has over his instrument, yeah. not just his voice, but his body as an as an as a thespian. Um, there are very few performances, I can't think of any off the top of my head, where this guy literally carries like two-thirds of this movie by himself. Yeah. You know, interacting with puppets, you know, or furniture. Yeah. <laughs> or, a pro- or a fake hand. But it's him, so much of this movie is just him alone in this cabin. And he somehow manages to be um, mesmerizing as a performer through the entire this whole entire bit, and uh, he flips himself over. Well, yeah, legendary. Well, that you know, getting you know, there's and, and there's all that stuff, but there's just you know, I always I don't feel that he ever gets his due as a performer. Because if you look at like his episode of the X Files, yeah, he did like a cameo on the X Files. Well, he's straight in that, and it's it's you know, post Army of Darkness, he got kind of saddled with this uh, character, this Ash, like pompy, pompous, uh, confident, kind of goofy one-liners, yeah, and and, groovy, he, and he yeah. ended up playing that in a lot of things, including a movie that he directed called My Name Is Bruce, where he plays himself. He plays himself as that character, and he plays that kind of like confident, almost an asshole character in real life. Now, when he goes to you know on stage at conventions, well, that's stuff. what most people expect of it. Yeah, at some point, I think it's post Army of Darkness. He gets saddled with it. Yeah. But, but then he's still trying to act, and he's doing straight roles like the opening you, of Congo. Or, but when you see him in stuff where he's not that. From Dust Till Dawn 2. <laughs> which was the movie, one of the movies I was referring to earlier, where Dion would sit through many uh, movies where Bruce Campbell's in one scene. And What's-Her-Face is in that, too, in that Tiffany scene. Tiffany Amber Thiessen, yeah. I think, is in that scene. That was a double dose for Blake. And uh, But he's a great actor. And, Army of Dar- uh, and Evil Dead 2 is... A fantastic performance. And one of the aspects of it that I've always really connected with is that you have the goofiness of everything that's going on. 
but you also have that my perception of the of the movie of his story is that it's like this it's also at the same time for me as a viewer maybe other people have a different opinion this slow descent into madness certainly you know, when you get to that you get to that used to be my favorite scene in the movie where it's like he everyone's laughing and then he goes down with the the, the yeah. lamp you know it's like at that point yeah it's the absurdity of his and he's laughing but then those laughs become screams he starts crying yeah and you could argue cuz people will argue about like the shining yeah like is jack going crazy or is he he's already crazy or is it is he already or are or are these things happening yeah um, or, 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 or you mean, yeah, is it in, is it, is it in his own head? Yeah. Or is he seeing all this stuff or what I mean, is he go up there and go crazy or is he already crazy by the time he gets up there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's an element of that going on because he's the sole witness of a lot of this stuff happening. We as a viewer are trusting that he's sane. And that we're viewing something that's actually happening. So for all we know, it could be that the other side but of this he, could the be. The person he inside been... the mirror. Is him could not could be in his head. It yeah, does, it, maybe it didn't happen. The him laughing with the going up and down with the desk lamp. Who knows if that's really happened? So there could be an alternative version of this movie where he actually killed his girlfriend <laughs> because he stopped taking his meds. I mean, we 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 eventually find out that there are supernatural things happening by yeah. the time the rest of the people get there. But we don't know that everything that's happening inside that cabin is supernatural. I feel like they've probably done stories like that, right? Where it's like. You know, they told it from a point of view. It's like, well, that's secret. That's another Stephen King, right? That's the secret window. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that about that where you're seeing John, I'm John Turturro and I will talk to you like I'm Southern. <laughs> but I just love his performance from that side of it. Because yeah. there are parts where he is tortured. Yeah. And there's there are parts where he is realizing that he's losing his grip on reality yeah. in parts. And it's just, it's a great, it's great from Sam Raimi's standpoint, but it's also great in the performance of Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Now, the obviously the tour de force scene of him fighting his hand and then flipping himself over in the kitchen, apparently that's a stunt that he did a lot. I've tried a to- A party trick. <laughs> Blake knows in my younger years, I was, I was, I tried to be a physical comedian. I tried to, I was always scared to do that because there's a worry you can land wrong, but you could hurt your head. Yeah. And you see stuff like Buster Keaton doing crazy shit, like where Buster Keaton will like, you know, be adjusting his trousers and put one leg up and then he puts the other leg up and then he falls on his ass. Yeah. And that's like a joke, you know, but I, I've never mastered how you do this stuff without really hurting yourself. <laughs> You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know how you train. So, it's like some of the physical comedy he's doing in that is just crazy. You know, where he's – and that's the 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 story where he auditioned for Briscoe County, right? Yeah. Supposedly. Now, now this, is a, this is a recollection from my youth. Yeah. Um, it could be tainted or fake. Now, I have a memory. Is this be- the date the, – the morning show? Yeah, it was on Regis and Kathy Lee. So I don't know if I have a memory of me seeing it as well, or I have a memory of you telling me it, so now it's in my head that I've seen it, you know? <laughs> as a kid watching, we've established on the show that I didn't have cable at my mom's house. And so if I was home from school, you know, you'd watch Price is Right, you know. Sure. Match Game. <laughs> I don't even think Match Game was really on when we were. Pressure Luck. It was, it was just there was limited there was limited things for me to watch. Yeah. I would watch like Zoobly Zoo, sure, or you know because I had 
when I moved up to the Albany area, I had PBS, I had Fox, yep. and then I had just ABC, CBS, and NBC. It's all you need, baby. But pretty soon, Fox would go over to things like 700 Club. Yeah. You know, there wasn't- got to pay bills, baby. It wasn't cartoons all day. No. Or old reruns, unfortunately, in the Albany era when I grew up. Or you had like or you the, had soaps, or you had the real kitty shows on PBS. You yeah. have like you know Barney was popular at that time, or maybe it was just before Barney. But you'd have Pappy Druitt was a show, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Zoobly Zoo stuff yeah. like that. But I was getting a little too old for that stuff, and so you tried to hang at off. like nine o'clock in the morning or at ten, whatever time it was, I would watch Reese's Kathy Lee when yeah. I was home uh, from school whether it was the summer or a break or whatever, or sick. And I remember, whether it's true or not, I don't know, because you can't find it on YouTube or anything, but I remember Bruce Campbell was on Regis and Kathy Lee because he was promoting Briscoe County Jr., and he was explaining that he, in his audition, it was like a fight scene was, was part of the audition, and so he fought himself in the audition, Kind of taking what he did, just did an Evil Dead too. What he did in Evil Dead too, and inside the audition, he flipped himself over onto his back. Yeah, and then he did it on Regis and Kathy Lee. Is my recollection. Well, we have to talk to Bruce Campbell next time you interview him <laughs> and ask him if that's true. I have seen videos of like the Chainsaw Awards of Fangoria, where he got it for he got he won the award for maybe Army of Darkness or something, and he goes on stage and he does it on stage. One way, then he gets up and he does it the other direction. How old is he at this point? We're 40 right now. <laughs> I want to know if I could, you know, my, my creaky old yeah, body. He doesn't do it anymore. Yeah, of course. He, he but you got to think, though, I mean, what year is he 40? I mean, what year is he, you know what I mean? I don't know. You figure he, let's say, for argument's sake, he's 20 in, in 1980, 79. Yeah. Say he's 21 in 80. So so 89 comes around, he's 30. So you say he's, you know, he's late 20s or early, or really early Born 30s. Born June the 22nd, my wedding anniversary, 1958. Okay. 68, 78, he's 20 and 78, he's 30 and 88, he's 40 and 98. So he's just shy of 30 when he's flipping himself. And then your Fangora Rewards is what, mid-90s? I think it was for Army of Darkness. Maybe it was for Evil Dead So he's too, a but... solid solid mid-30s in Army of Darkness? Yeah. You know? And then, uh, you know, by by the time he's on uh, X-Files, he's around our age now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay, so... Uh... I'm going to get ready to do this as soon as we're done. We're going <laughs> to gonna... clear out the we're class... Go Facebook Live. With yeah, this. I'm gonna just. I want you to just do me a favor and move your mom's glass coffee table because that's all I need. Because this thing is an heirloom. Now the other aspect to this performance, um, Bruce Campbell's Bruce Campbell's performance, is also kind of the narrative of the character, like the narrative structure of the character. You know, in in a lot of ways, Ash, the character of Ash, is not really the hero of Evil Dead. He's actually very passive through a lot of that movie. He just happens to be the survivor. So, or he's like really reactionary to everything. Yeah, I mean he's reactionary and he ends up surviving, but he doesn't necessarily conquer anything. He doesn't even fix the problem at the end, right? He opens the <laughs> portal and he gets sucked in. And well, I'm talking about the first one. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. The f- this one is much more like a hero's journey. What happens at the end of the first one? 
It's been so long since I've seen it. How does that end? He ends it, up taking the book and throwing it into the fireplace. And then does it end with him? And then once it starts burning, like the dead, uh, like his his possessed friends die. They, they drop. And then he steps out of the cabin and then we cut to the woods in the back. Yeah, right. And then there's a POV that comes up to his face and that's the end and of it. And then we see that POV. Yes. In, okay. Yeah, after the recap and, of and Evil Dead 2. I learned, I don't know if it's right or not, but it's fascinating that they supposedly some of that is like they took some Orson Welles and mixed it with with Sam Raimi kind of voiceover. To yeah, make that, that I don't know. Because I tried to, I asked Joe LaDuca about that sound because I was wondering if they had him do it. Yeah. And he said, no, they did that. So, so I read somewhere that that was supposedly Orson Welles. Is, I mean, they're not, they're not paying him. But, like, he died, his last role supposedly Transformers the movie, which we've covered on here in 86. But then next year is this, his supposedly his voice is in that. But so him being this character. So my point is, he's not really the hero of the first one. But this Evil Dead 2 is very much about someone having to become a hero. There's that story. There's like the, the hero. reluctant hero. <laughs> He's a reluctant <laughs> hero that by at some point he needs to step up to the plate. And of course, that is the patented Sam Raimi montage in the work shed where he makes the the chainsaw hand and all that stuff. But his first. We start to see it coming out in a little bit of a madness form when he has to chop off his own hand. Yeah. You know, and, great scene, <laughs> which is like his performance. There is, it's it's terrific. I think what sells it is that he's a hundred percent committed. Yeah, and he's kind of losing it. Yeah, and he's like, uh, you know, he he's screaming and the blood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's always it's drilling. <laughs> but I find Evil Dead Two interesting in that it is about this guy who's suffering all this loss, kind of losing his mind, and then by the end has to uh, rise to the occasion. And, I mean, he might ne- necessarily be the most competent guy to do it, but he's the he's the only one that can do it at that moment. Sure. Army of Darkness ends up being a little bit of a step backwards where he ends up being more of a buffoon than ever and then having to stand up and you know, become the hero again and uh, and rally the troops at the end of Army of Darkness. Uh, Go home and cry to mama. Yeah. <laughs> all the people, all the men from the future, loud mouth braggarts. Just me, baby. <laughs> Just me. Uh, so there's a similar arc for Army of Darkness where he is a buffoon, selfish, wants to leave, but then has to realize that he's the one, the only one that can do this. But that happens in Evil Dead 2 also, and I just think it's an interesting... It's the creation of a hero. Yeah. Which I think is probably an aspect of the story that gets lost on uh, because of so much of the the wackiness and comedy and the stylization. And then bringing in the other characters, I guess, because at some point you need other characters for him to interact with. So they bring the other characters in, which is the, with the tow truck driver, with his girlfriend, uh, Baba Joe. Baba Joe. Baba Joe, where are you, girl? And the, the kids, they bring the kids in who the parents own the cabin. It's a beautiful cabin. I mean, you think about that cabin in, in without the Necronomicon fucking some shit up there. 
I mean, it's how spacious is that he's... cabin? He's running through. He goes between the walls. <laughs> yeah, like it looks so big. I know. It's like <laughs> he's in between these little, you know, mortar. Cra- it's like wow, they have these spaces in the walls to do some creeping, and then he comes out, and then there's a really impressive woodshed in that thing too. You know, that it has every uh, uh, thing under the sun. So I guess we're led to believe that I guess I, whoever built the cabin, the old professor, he's he built that, and you know, he had the woodshed help him out there. Um, professor Noby. Yeah. He's he was doing it all himself, uh, and then the special effects in this movie are some of the well. That, see, it's interesting that they that they say they don't want to go with really really red blood because they're worried about the rating. Uh, so that's why you get some of that black oil. See, at first the or the black, I just thought that was just like the depths of hell. But then when you get the yeah. green and the you know all the different things. Well, the first one they use a lot of like white. They use like a lot of milk or whatever. I don't know what they're using, but yeah. it ends up being incredibly disturbing. Because uh, they're using a lot of black and white in and, and the first one. Because um, when he's getting like just hosed with like black, he's like, oh my God, <laughs> it's spraying. He's and like, even the, a lot of the blood is very watery and, and almost pink. Yeah. Uh, when it's all like, when it's like the fire hose. Yeah. Uh, blood. Yeah. This movie uh, takes the, the, the liquid co- quotient up to, <laughs> up to beyond, beyond norms. Uh, special effects in this movie. Our great um, Mark Showstrom, I think, is the head of the makeup effects, and he puts together. He had done uh, just before this. He had done From Beyond by Stuart Gordon, and he had done uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two, uh, Freddy's Revenge, um, and then so he he gets hired to put together a special to put together a special effects team, and then he ends up hiring. Uh, Guys that have been talked on here a few times. I think they're in the special effects Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes. Guys like Greg Nicotero, Howard Berger, and Robert Kurtzman, who later create their own company called K&B. Which you, you, you know, that's, does everything now, right? They've got their hands in most everything. I mean, they did everything from the, uh, the Massacred Buffaloes and uh, Dances with Wolves. To everything on Army of Darkness, to uh, I don't I don't know if K and B officially is still together, but Greg Nicotero has got his hands all over uh, Walking Dead. He directs a lot of the episodes. He's one of the producers, and okay. I guess his shop does all the special effects. And they did the Day of the Dead, the '85 Romero movie. Well, yeah, because they. But and, they weren't K and B at the time. Yeah. They're all especially Nicotero, but they're Under all Savini's tutelage. Protege, proteges of, of Savini. And then they worked on Savini's directed the nineteen ninety remake of Night of the Living Dead. Uh they're doing stuff yeah, there. They did the special effects for Green Mile, right, maybe? Too? They they may have, but I was gonna say Tales from the Dark Side of the movie. Tales from the Dark <laughs> so Side of the movie. They created that yeah. crazy gargoyle monster. Yeah, which we'll get to at some point. But uh everything to Wishmaster to uh Wishes uh you know create uh, like, yeah. so much stuff. So they're I mean and then the what you you got But they're still kind of they're new to the business at this point. Yeah. So they're kind of they started working out with uh Lorimer, not Lorimer. Uh, I forget the company of uh, that created all those uh, the the Romero movies, but they started off kind of under uh, Savini, and then we talked about them. Well, we talked about them in Dawn of the Dead because he first kind of that's when he meets Savini and starts uh, Nicotero meets Savini, but then they make uh, 
that work with him on Day of the Dead, and I think Nicotero's even in Day of the Dead. And then Nicotero's also has a cameo in um, From Dust Till Dawn, and they yeah. did the special effects from From Dust Till Dawn. And, and then so he's in that uh, as a sex machine. They did uh, in the Off of Madness as special effects. And then we told that story in one of those casts where he met Romero in Italy, right? Isn't that him? Yeah, Nicotero met. Romero in on, Italy while while he, was, on, while he was writing Dawn of the Dead, and he was on a family vacation, right, with his family. They were just yeah. He going. was a teenager. Nick Tara was on a family vacation as a teenager yeah. in Italy, and then they edit, they edited a restaurant, and the table next to them was George Romero, and Nick Tara was a Pittsburgh guy as well as Romero, <laughs> and so when Romero made Dawn of the Dead, he called Nick Tara up, said, "You want to come down and hang out?" And then that's when he met Savini, and then at, post Day of the Dead, um. You know, we talked about he was going to be a lawyer. Yeah, or he, a wanted, he was going to be a lawyer, but then he he he, which is his well, father wanted, he, and he think he went to law school, and then he told his dad after working on day that he's like, I want. Yeah, well, part of that is because Howard Berger is like, hey, we're going to go and move into a house together in L.A. and do this. You should come with us. He's like, I'm out, and so he moved with them, and then you know, and then. I don't know if it's the next project. Maybe they're doing little things, but then their next big project is Evil Dead 2. Yeah. And then working on Evil Dead 2 with Mark Schostrom, that ends up being another, you know, great thing on the resume. And then eventually they form K&B and they do their own thing. Also, there's other guys. Like, yeah, there's stop. a guy named Sh- Shannon Shea who also works as part of the crew there. And then there's all the stop motion stuff, yeah, which is uh, amazing. Doug uh, Biswick. Biswick. Bisquick, Bisquick, <laughs> uh, Biswick. He's stop the stop motion guy. I mean, this thing and is also really... Tom Sullivan does the, some of the, the stop motion stuff with the involving the book because he did the book and all that stuff for the first one. Yeah. So the stop motion is actually there's different people doing different aspects of it, and uh, I mean it's really we talk about it's getting late. Sorry. We talk about how. Um, up until that time, you know, you're putting in everything you can into a movie, you know, and that's that's a tune we say a lot around here, like with Labyrinth or whatever you see. Uh, and this is an example where this you is, have yeah. you have like the Ray Harryhausen, like rotoscoping to stop motion. You have puppets, you have latex, you have um, uh, practical effects, you have minute, you know, it's just, just so much. You do have almost every like, aspect of physical effects. At the end when it's like, when it's the, uh, I think it's the mom flying around and, he, and you're cutting to that long shot and suddenly it's like a very much like a Terry Housen, like <laughs> yeah. Jason and the Agronauts. It's like, or, or at the beginning when she comes up out of the grave and she's dancing, to me that seems very Tim Burton, Beetlejuicy or something like of the, of the early 80s, the stop motion he was doing. It's like, oh, there's all this, it's just, it's amazing, you, you, you know, or the the fat suit that Ted uh, Raimi, Sam's brother's wearing. Yeah, you know, and plays the possessed Henrietta. Yeah, uh, that's in in the. I mean, that, see, that's another thing where it's like you know, they knock out uh, Campbell, they throw, and then he gets his ass kicked. They throw him down the stairs, and he's trying, and he's up, he's in the basement. They have the tape on, and, it's like, <laughs> and she's in the basement. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I can't do it because I don't overmodulate. But he's like, <laughs> it's just, it's so funny, you yeah, know. Yeah. Well, I mean, every so many. Like I said, almost every aspect of <laughs> practical effects are done. I mean, most of, if not all of the exteriors, when they're in the cabin and they're in the shit, and then you cut to the exterior of the cabin, most of the time that's a miniature. Unbelievable. Of the cabin. Yeah. In the woods. You know, they, somebody built 
this cab, this little miniature cabin in the woods for the stop motion stuff, but also just for like exteriors of the cabin. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, or like the shots of him, you know, uh, him on that rig where he's flying through the woods, turning around and they're whacking him with the branches. He's going through it yeah, like, the, that took you know, an entire day. When the when the force comes, it's, it would be the cut if you were going to, which I did when we were in college. If you were going to cut all the movies together to make one six hour long movie or whatever five and a half hour long movie, your cut would be from at end of Evil Dead, the force goes through the house, hits Ash. That's when the credits would normally start, and then you would cut there to when Ash then gets picked up and thrown, you know, miles. It's spinning around in crazy fast motion. They shot all that stuff at like two frames a second. You know, they put Campbell up on this big rig and Ramey would could spin him either clockwise or counterclockwise. And they had to find a like a mile long stretch of road that had no turns in it, which they found in South Carolina. The rest of the movie shot in North Carolina. They had to go to South Carolina to find the stretch of road. And uh, there's a story where one of the crew guys is down below when he goes up to Campbell before they start. He said, what you have for breakfast today? And Campbell's like, why? I'm like, what does that matter? He's like, because I'm going to see it soon because I'm down here. <laughs> and, uh, but Raimi's, you know, style causes them to do uh, lots of in-camera effects as well as all those special effects. You know, doing reverse motion or shooting things at weird frame rates or, or weird, uh, you know, like lens angles, you know the all those weird flattened shots or with a with a, a thing for the lens. I think it's called like a mesmerizer or something, where you get like these skewed. They seem like you know even one dimensional, not two dimensional shots. And all that shot, all that stuff is shot at like one or two frames. There's the part where the 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 monster becomes flesh and comes through the front door, the giant monster, and then. Campbell's hair turns white. That's yeah. Campbell. They like locked Campbell in to position, and then they animated that one it was stop motion. Where just the with flowers a, die? Yeah, they would yeah. spray the flowers with like, you know, they would take like a torch and like wilt the flowers every every couple of frames and paint white on the Campbell's hair. That's all stop motion effects, but with a person and flowers, not not yeah. like a, a maquette or whatever. And they also talked about how amazing he would be to be able to act re- in reverse because they'd shoot something backwards and then they'd re- turn around and play it right so it would, you know, you'd get the effect you want. Like they talked about with the woman, her s- swallow on that eyeball. That's how you do it. You have it. And also when way. she gets attacked by the vines, she has to, there's a lot of acting and acting in reverse. Yeah. Which is to, yeah, to make all those stuff out happen. or pulling it in, you know, it is another one, you know, I'm, I'm a broken record on this show. Every time we do something that has effects, because it is, it's a lost art form in a lot of ways. Things have changed. And these movies, especially from this period, whether it be Labyrinth or Total Recall, you know, this late mid to late 80s, early 90s, just before CGI takes hold, it's really a magical time for movies. And it's one of my favorite. It's become one of my favorite aspects of the show, which is that we get to revisit these things. And it's you watch this stuff and you're like, oh, crap. Like, look at the way things were. (laughs) That's what I was saying before. I wonder if some of that's lost on some people where they're just. You don't realize what goes into some of this stuff, you know, the, the, the pains of having to do like that guerrilla style filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff in this movie that not even just the layman, like there are film fans that will watch Army uh, Evil Dead 2 
including myself, and yeah. not so I'm not I'm not taking a position where I'm like I'm superior to anybody. That the 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 movie magic element of all the special effects are so good that even though you can spot a lot of it, there's so much stuff that I'm sure is. Yeah, you know, like you know when they're when she's being the when the vines are attacking her and there's the close up of her being dragged through the woods, and the the vines are going into her face. Obviously, she that stuff is backwards. They're pulling out the vines instead of pushing them in. But then when she's on a platform, and there's basically a carpet, a rug underneath her, that's just covered with dirt and leaves. Because they're not actually dragging her. She's stationary. They're moving the floor underneath her to make it look like she's moving. She's rolling. You know, there's so many of those kinds of special effects that are done so well that... You don't even I mean, realize. that's the idea is that it's supposed yeah. to be seamless. Stuff like the, the stop motion. And Some of the, the stuff end. where he's you see like him fighting himself, you could tell it's shot maybe a different frame rate because it's, you know... But yeah. it's just for the majority or him... I mean, just the... the the cinematography is amazing. The shots they're able to get, which is also through, an interesting aspect you know. of it, because they started out with all the night exteriors, and apparently, the DP, who I don't remember his name, and a lot of the crew ended up being kind of very defiant, and they would question Raimi a lot and be like, "Well, why do you want to do it that way? Or we shouldn't do it that way. We should do it this way." And so they shot a lot of these night exteriors, and then finally, over a weekend, Raimi fired a third of the crew. And said, like, look, I can't make my movie this way. This is the way I want it. This is the way it's got to be done. Fires that, fires a bunch of the crew and then hires Peter Deming, who comes on and has to jump right into it. You know, the production's moving. You know, they fires, fires everybody on Saturday. Monday, Peter Deming comes in and takes over his cinematography. He's got a, he watches the stuff they shot. He talks to Raimi to get a sense of what they want to do. And he hits the ground running, and he does a fantastic job, so much so that Raimi brings him back for Drag Me to Hell just many years later because that movie obviously has a lot of similar sensibilities. And then he ends up using Deming again for the Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's a great matchup. I mean, Deming really gets what Raimi's going for, and apparently he was all... He, the difference in crew was Deming was always like when Raimi said how he's to do it, and he's like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. Or like, okay, how should we do it? And that's the other aspect of Raimi is not just the artist. Apparently Raimi is very knowledgeable about lenses and camera speeds, and he would apparently even write a lot of this stuff into the script so that everybody who's on the crew and the special effects guys know how things were, he was expecting to do things like, oh, he's going to shoot this in reverse. That, that lets the crew know how we're going to do it. But he would put in like what lens they're going to use, what, how fast this film's going to run. So Raimi is like a master at of of the technical aspect of filmmaking, but he's also like a determined filmmaker. He's not afraid to say, you know what? Like if you're not going to do it the way I want to do it, get the hell off my set and I'll find somebody. I have to make the movie that I want to make I, you know, it's on a low budget, even though it's three and a half million dollars. We have limited time. I can't put up with this bullshit. I can't have people questioning me. And so in that way, he's a very tough filmmaker. Yeah. Which is an aspect that, you know, most of us, unless, you know, you're obsessed with special features and stuff and reading things, would never know about him. But sometimes as a director and, you know, even the special effects guys, like nobody ever yelled on set. It was like the most fun set. There was never any tension. But not saying Raimi screamed and yelled to fire everybody, but Raimi was a guy 
I'm sure it's very intimidating to say for him to, ha- to have to make that decision. Yeah. But he knows what he wants and he knows how to do it and he needs to get people that can help him execute it the way he needs to do it. And so that's another aspect of, you know, being a director that I think is pretty commendable. Well, he's got a singular vision. He's kind of like the Coen brothers where he has an idea of how it wants to look. He has a hand in writing his stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's able to, to execute it and get something out that's quite unique, you know, especially the earlier stuff sure, there. definitely. You know, and it's kind of pioneering within the field. I mean, you know, it, it did define a genre, his stuff, you know. Um, I guess there were ideas when this came aboard, if this was going to be a reboot or is this going to be a sequel? So, you know, it was kind of like they're going the sequel route here. That's yeah. why Some people call it a reboot. But because of the, what we talked because about. Because of the recap. Yeah, but at the beginning. They say, no, I mean, it's, there's a recap. But then once that cut that I was talking about earlier happens, that moment, then it's all direct sequel Bride of Frankenstein style, <laughs> going right <laughs> Halloween out Halloween two style. Uh, and it ends. Next one begins. And then it's and then you know uh, his brother Ted Raimi, who I remember very well being in uh, Dark Man, and he has a very other. He, he's in a lot of other movies and stuff. I think he shows up in the Spider Mans too. Is he? Yeah. Is he? Is he he's, one, he's in one of every one of his movies. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Same with the car. But yeah, but well, Ra- Raimi yeah. was also on like Sequest. Yeah, he was one of the crew members of the show Sequest with Roy Scheider in the nineties, and yeah. Uh, Dark Man was probably the first time I recognized him in something. Because he gets killed with and that. And he's like Jay, one of Jay jo- Jonah Jameson's guys in the Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Because uh, he I remember he gets his head taken off, right? Because he puts his head through like a, a, through the a manhole. manhole. Yeah. I haven't seen Spoiler. that movie in 30 years. Um, but uh, Raimi's him, 20 years old when they shoot this. And this is how Raimi, this is how Ted Raimi gets his uh, side card. Yeah, is being it's his this, first professional job because he's in this fat suit, right? And it's not latex; it's this other kind of stuff at the time, or whatever was the mold. And then yeah. they said he sweats so much he was like losing pounds in the suit. Yeah, well, so Raimi, Sam Raimi says, "Look, whoever's going to be in this Whoa. thing is going to be tortured." Yeah, so let's get my little brother to do it. Yeah, there's a scene in the movie, and it's it's a uh, when she, when she's just the she's flying around on the ceiling and she's grabbing Linda and she's uh, or Annie's head, turning right, and she's turning around. And uh, there's a couple of things in that. You can see the uh, holes in the suit, but also it's uh, Campbell's, he's like, you know, I don't remember what he says, but he comes up and he says, hey, you know, it gets her attention. Yeah. And then it stops and it cuts to a close-up and her ear is very close to the end of the frame, meaning Henrietta, the character, Ted Raimi in the suit. Sideways. Sideways. And you can see a stream of- White fluid. Of, mil- of milky white sweat because to put the, the costume on, there's all this like powder. They pow- had to put like talcum powder on yeah. him basically. So, so it it's this stick. combination of sweat and powder leaking. O- oozing out of his ear because there's a seam in the thing. It, and when they would take out, when they would take the suit off at the end of the day and they would pull his uh, rubber feet off, they would just like pour the water out of the yeah, feet. Yeah, and he said he was losing shit tons of weight because of this because you gotta think of how hot it was they're super shooting in the summertime right it's middle of summer in, in North Carolina school. in a gymnasium you're probably not doesn't under have hot lights and then they're in a set on hot lights he's in a fat suit and they had like lentils lentil beans because what they do is they would um they molded him in like spandex to get him and then they built a fat suit around that but then 
once they built the fat, fat suit, they had to take like say lentil beans and or lentils, and they had to put lentils into the areas like where the breasts are or the stomach oh, or the to fill, to fill it, gaps. so that when they jump around, it, it reacts like uh, like um, fatty tissue would. Yeah. So he's got all that on him, and then like you're saying, then that scene where you see him going around on the ceiling like a uh, like a fan, you could see like his ass crack you could see like it's at one point it's like cracked open yeah the suit's broke and you could see his like underwear and his spandex underneath because apparently the, just before that moment in the beginning of that scene and uh linda uh, i keep saying linda but i think it's the character of Anne. yeah annie she's you know campbell's down in the in the basement she's up top and she grabs the the pages and she steps away and then he pops up from the doorway yeah. to the cellar well, apparently, one one of the takes, he popped up and either went too far or popped up too fast, and then he fell over. And he hurts himself. Or he, you hear him go, ah! He ends, up kind of, he ends up hurting himself, but he ends up ripping the whole back of the suit. Yeah. So uh, they try to super glue everything, but you can see in that specific shot that Dan's talking about when he's spinning around on top that... Like his whole ass is like torn open. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice when they when they you have the beautiful, very famous now montage of him running to the workshed, and he did, I guess is it in the workshed or is it in the basement? You could see the Freddy Krueger glove. It's at the that's in the basement at the end when he's looking for the pages. And that's another thing we're talking about how elaborate Hang, this hanging, cabin is hanging on the wall. Yeah, is there's a, a Freddy there's a Freddy Krueger glove which I guess Showstrom brought. It's a because he, he worked on uh, the second. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie because in one of them they're watching Evil Dead. Well, th- that rivalry goes to that uh, in Evil, the first Evil Dead. I think in the basement there's a Hills Have Eyes poster that's ripped yeah. like in half, and it was always meant supposedly that Raimi's mentality was like, "Oh, you thought that's scary? Like that's not as scary as this movie." So then, as an answer in Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Nancy, when she's trying to stay awake, is watching Evil Dead on TV in her bedroom, and I think she said something negative about it. So then, as kind of even though Craven had nothing to do with the second uh, Elm Street movie, uh, really, still as kind of a joke. They and because Showstrom uh, had done the second, worked on the has worked on special effects. Yeah, he was the special effects guy. He brought the glove and they pinned it up. And I actually never noticed that until we watched it tonight. Yeah, I never noticed it either. When he was walking through, it was like, he he's in one aspect of the of the thing, and I think he's going to go open the curtain to see like the water heater. Yeah. And when he walks through that doorway, as he's approaching that doorway, there's the glove it's kind of. up there. And it's again, it's such an elaborate cellar. I guess you know, there's. I mean, you have so <laughs> much room down there, and you think of like Jesus, you know, everything that's built down and all that. Um, but when he goes into that tool shed, it's like, and then he's doing that whole montage where he ends up with the groovy. You know, it, it's it's so legendary now. And well, Raimi's montages are legendary. Yeah, nobody does. And a, it's the foley, the sounds, the sound design. The sound has everything to do with it. He either punching in with a, a snap zoom or movement or just the the rhythm of the shots in the cutting room. Yeah, it's a, it's a patented Raimi thing. Yeah, and it's funny the the, the character relationships because. Ash goes there with his girlfriend. His girlfriend's quickly killed by his own hand, unfortunately. He puts it away. Then later on, he's he's suffering, you know, and then he's, uh, you know, he has the double-barrel shotgun. He shoots. He thinks it's he's trying to go after the demons, but it's the other people arriving. They knock the crap out of him, and then they throw him in the basement to lock him up because they think he's a lunatic. And then finally they realize because of the possession with the thing in the basement 
that he's not a lunatic. They let him free, and then by the end of it, he's like almost like comforting her. You know, they're like hugging and stuff because of this traumatizing incident they well, go to. You know, it's it's a, a journey. It is very much. Um, not only is he, you know, has to rise to the occasion, but you know, they form a relationship through the, tra- or the yeah. through this dramatic event. Uh, now, what you were talking about too is, I guess, uh, you you taught that to me years before that. Ramey always puts the same car. It's a 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88, and I think it's it's not a station wagon. I think right. I think it's just a sedan, a four door sedan, because it's in yeah, Spider Man. It's not a station wagon. No. Yeah, but it's that same color. It's the same as a 73 Olds. It's uh, and you see it. It's in the first Evil Dead. It's in the second Evil Dead. I think he calls it the classic. Yeah, but it was his car. Uh, I guess I don't know if it was his parents' car or his car as a teenager when he got his license or whatever. And so it's been... It's in, it's in Spider-Man. Isn't the uncle driving it in Spider-Man? Yeah, it's the car that Uncle Ben drives. There's even legend that they stripped it down and built a, a, a wagon on top of it for... Oh, quick, for, for Quick in the Dead. For Quick in the Dead. And, and that's, that's legend. I, mean, uh, I, don't, you know, I don't know if that's true. When I was, you know, at the end of this, we just did last week Wizard of Oz. You have at the end of Evil Dead 2 where they open the portal. You kind of get the Wizard of Oz ending where he gets sucked in. I love that the car starts getting sucked. I always loved that when I was little. And then they, you have the shot where he, get, he gets sucked into the quote-unquote twister or whatever, and you know, into the ripple of time. And then when he land, to me, he t- the ending part, which is like the Rod Serling twist, like yeah. the, the Planet of the Apes twist of it. Where he drops, it's almost like he comes into like a Don Quixote film where it's like Terry Gilliam land for me, where it's like how it looks. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. at the beginning of this, when he's romantic, when he's with his girl, to me it has so much, the fil- the stock film, it's very like 80s slasher in the woods, like a f- uh, Jason Voorhees movie. Sure. You got the burning, it's like that very, you know, uh, that stock that they would use where you could kind of see everything's... You know, you could see like you know, the emulsion and stuff yeah, like that. You know, a lot of grain. Yeah, and then by the end of it, you have that kind of like despair. It almost looks like they're in that. Uh, I keep bringing Beetlejuice up, but that that desert world where it's yeah. it's very different. And it, to me, it looks like they're not even in the country anymore. They're like, you know, well, they're not supposed to be. But it's like you know, he's there's very much like a Terry Gilliam where you see the car. I always love the car lands, and he's there. And then it's been so many years since I've seen. Um, uh, Army of Darkness. Does the car play a part at all? Do they drag it back in? Yeah, he, I forget because they end up the when they capture him, they end up taking the car to the castle in Army of Darkness, and at the end, he um, customizes it. He, he makes the death coaster out of it. Yeah, okay. He, he ends up making like a, a like a thing out of it, but also he goes into the into the trunk to get things to I think to make his hand or I don't know. At some point, he goes into the trunk. And he has like a chemistry book, which is how they make the gunpowder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. To give and him extra shell. And, there, and there's a and there's an issue of Fangoria in the, in the trunk Sweet. as well. But uh, yeah, so the, the old is in all those movies. It's also at the beginning of the remake of Evil Dead. Yeah, she's like smoking cigarettes, sitting on the hood or something. It's yeah. like a dilapidated in the next to the cabin because they produced the remake of Evil yeah. Dead. And I remember is an Ash in, in at the end of it. There's a little cameo. Yeah, at the very end, uh, and then. What's the legend of here with that there's one of these things? I, you've always told me famously the legend of the Army of Darkness stuff. 
And I've seen that was one of the bootlegs you and I got at one of those earlier conventions of a longer oh, cut of Army the of Darkness. Cuts of Army of Darkness. You know, there was yeah. TV cuts with the little guys running around, or at the end he slept too long, and all that kind of stuff. But then this movie too, which I didn't know. I guess there are other cuts that people would see that they were TV cuts, or there's stuff that they shot which doesn't exist anymore of him as uh, you know possessed ash eating squirrels and all that kind of stuff. There's definitely stuff that they shot that's not in the movie. Like that, there's much more to him. Uh, like uh, dismembering Ed, the blonde yeah. guy who becomes a deadite. Uh, I don't know too much about the different cuts. This that's an aspect of. I don't think I've ever seen this on commercial television. Yeah, they've talked about that they had like, like I don't know, like uh, not alternative scenes, but maybe like longer heads or tails of scenes, or there's deleted scenes and stuff like that. That that were I'll like you said, look. with the Army of Darkness, you'd know. Yeah, you know. I mean, I know it's just because Army of Darkness used to get played on television a yeah. lot when we were in college like on sci-fi or something, and so that was commercial television. And then I was watching it, and there was... I just remember I was watching it one time and with with a, fr- with a friend of ours, and it was a scene that we had never seen before. And I thought, what is this movie? And he's like, it's Army of Darkness. And then... Yeah, you're like, the heck you say? And then... No, but he said it as a joke. Oh. And then it ended up being Army of Darkness. Like, holy shit, like, well, what is this? Yeah. And then we sat there and we watched it in Josh Nasugi's apartment. Oh, R.I.P. <laughs> Josh Nasugi. The late Josh yeah. Nasugi. And then that was the, um, this is something I bring up in our podcast on Night of the Creeps because that's the idea of back in the day, they don't care about it now, but back in the day where they would look for, to, to pad out the time, if you had to fit an hour and a half moving two hours or whatever, yeah. you didn't have enough commercials, they would add in different cuts or That's longer takes. That's why there's takes. alternate footage for uh, ha- Halloween. Yeah, yeah, and the, or ha- yeah, they shoot when they're shooting Halloween too. They shoot extra scenes for Halloween, for you the know, television version. Yeah. yeah, or there's like Night of the Creeps has an alternate ending that they sh- that shows up in the TV version because when I was little, I knew the alternate ending. I didn't know the the theatrical yeah. cut ending. So when I saw that on video, I was like, this is not the ending I know and love. But Army you know? of Darkness has the theatrical cut, which is like 80 minutes. Yep. It has the director's cut, which has some of the stuff restored. And then there's the television cut, which has a lot of different stuff, even even different than the than the director's cut. Yeah. Which the director's cut has the alternate ending. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on yeah. in, in uh, Army of Darkness. I don't know too much about the Evil Dead 2 yeah, well, evidently they've they shot stuff which isn't available anymore. But then some of that uh, Greg Nicotero home movies, or, or yeah, his home s- movies are the only stuff that survives footage of like him eating that squirrel. Yeah, you know, as the possessed ash. Because I guess they did a lot more of him as the possessed ash, walking around and doing stuff. <coughs> uh, let's see what else in terms of impact. Of course, we said Army of Darkness comes out now. Do you remember? And it has that twist. It has the almost the. Um, the unsettling, almost the Empire Strikes Back kind of end, where it's like it's not really ending the movie; it's beginning another saga, which is neither good nor bad. You're like, <laughs> oh my god, you know, there's got to be a, you know. There was a moment when uh, when we watched it tonight, and that ending happened. I was like, I so want to just roll right in Army Dog. I know, I know. You were. I was like, babe, we have a podcast. <laughs> we to have do. to record. You're like, we did two sequels last week. We're gonna do it this week. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Book of the Dead, Swallow Your Soul, all these lines as well. Well, do you remember... Um, Dead by Dawn. Do you remember the, the cartoon, which was a CGI cartoon called Reboot? Only because you loved it. I only loved it because... Well, actually, I got into it when we were in college. Uh, but there is an episode that has an Evil Dead 2 homage. And, the, the game they're in is basically Evil Dead. And and uh, that's yeah. the one with, with Tony J, right? Where it's the... 
Yeah, they're in the computer. Right they're the, inside the yeah. computer. Yeah. And it's then kind of Tron-esque. Yeah, I, the, I, I, I and think we should go back and revisit that. And they battle, like, the player. Yeah. But we never see the player because they and live- Is it Waxworks, too, have a Evil Dead? Doesn't he go into a world with Ash? Is Bruce Campbell in that Bruce movie? Campbell is a, has, a, has a cameo in the second one, I think, but I don't think it's Evil Dead related. Or it's Dawn of the Dead or something. I thought he goes into, I, they go into like the mall of Dawn of the Dead, and I thought they went into the world of Evil Dead. But, that, it's been so long. Yeah. He, but Campbell is in the haunting homage. Uh, Waxwork 2 has a bunch of homages to other horror oh, movies. Oh, Okay. And, I, was, I was like, you threw me there. It's <laughs> like you lost <laughs> and me. And one of the homages is a black and white segment that's kind of a- uh, Like Robert Wise's yeah, The Haunting? The Haunting. I, I believe Campbell's in that one. Okay. But anyway, so there's, there's an episode of Reboot called uh, To Mend and Defend from 1997 that I remember seeing that uh, in college, living in an apartment with- uh, I lived in an apartment with a bunch of musicians for one uh, school year, and- me and them being really stoned one day and <laughs> watching Reboot. Yeah, heck and you say. And being like, holy Wait, shit. Wait, this reminds me of something, bro. <laughs> and being like, holy shit, that's awesome. That's fucking Evil Dead. Uh, and then, of course, um, the, the, like you said, it got spawned into a television show. From 2015 to 2018, we had Ash versus Evil Dead yeah. on Stars. Uh, other notable things to mention are Raimi's the knight at the end who's like, the hero came from the sky. Yes. That's Raby as a cameo. And also there's a story, I believe he tells it on the um, commentary. Uh, Campbell tells a story about when he was, uh, when he did Escape from L.A. with John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Oh, this is a famous story. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, I don't know how truthful it is, but it's of legend, so it must be true, <laughs> right? Because it sounds silly. I think Campbell tells them in the comic because I think the commentary for Evil Dead 2 is... Campbell, Raimi, Nicotero, and Scott Spiegel, I think. And Raimi tells, uh, Campbell t- relays the story that- Because Campbell has a very quick cameo on, on Escape from L.A. But an, an awesome and memorable cameo. Yeah, it's freaky. I've only seen that movie once, but he they're gonna he's a crazy plastic surgeon, and they're going to take in- Who's the girl with- She's the girl from uh, Hot Shots. Okay. Um, and they're going to they're gonna take the face, right? He's going to- Put the faces on somebody else or something, yeah. but he's got a messed up face because he has plastic and he wants, surgery. He wants he wants snake's other eye. He likes snake's eyes. Got to cut snake's eye. Out. Yeah, I gotta see that again. But uh, apparently, on set, the first time he met Kurt Russell, the first thing Kurt Russell ever said to him was, "Say work shed." <laughs> and and that- because of because there's this funny, very funny, like drop the ADR line right before he goes to the work shed where. You know, you could tell Campbell didn't say it on set. They recorded it and inserted it later. He's like, work shed. And he runs the, to go out to the work shed. And apparently, Kurt Russell always thought that was really funny. Which would mean that Kurt Russell had seen the movie so much. He's like, That's, <laughs> you know. And then it's also like the kind of idea I heard that Bill Paxton had told a story. Where Bill Paxton, like, uh, shortly after this movie came out, like, Jim uh, Cameron showed up at his house in the middle of the night. It's like, we're going to the movies right now. You got to come see this movie. And Bill Paxton's like... Bro, what do you mean? And it was to go see Evil Dead 2. And, and, and this is Jim Cameron, the guy who did Terminator, Aliens, was probably in pre-pro for The Abyss at the moment. He's like, we got to go see, look what they're doing in this movie Evil Dead 2, yeah. you know? He ends up using Paxton, the late Bill Paxton. Not a... R.I.P. R.I.P. this episode. Yeah. In uh, Simple Plan. Yeah, yeah. But then, even more so, 
he ends up using Paxton's dad. I think Paxton might tell that story. To, that's the sto- the relation is maybe he tells that story in the commentary or on set of Simple Plan. Yeah. But uh, you can see uh, Bill Paxton's dad is sadly not a good actor. But he's a very old guy. And he's like the butler for James Franco and Willem Dafoe in, in Spider-Man. Oh, okay. And... Uh, he's in a, he's in other Raimi movies so so much and he's unfortunately I mean it's my opinion I'm not I don't know if he's an actor or what but he's so bad in those movies that I was like who is this is this his is this Raimi's dad like whose dad and he's is this? bringing in poor Mr. Paxton in <laughs> he's bringing in old man Paxton yeah well it's like Jim Cameron's like I passed on old man Paxton you know we were gonna use him in Near Dark but you know even though it's not Cameron. Um, that's just funny. And this, you know, this reminds me, there's a movie I always say that like recently in the past 10 years or so, one of the funniest movies I've seen is Black Dynamite. But also, I randomly uh, came upon Tucker and Dale vs. Evil when yeah. that came out. Yeah, that's a great one. And that's a, a movie where, I don't know if I, did I tell you to watch that movie? Someone told me to, you got to go um, see this movie that's streaming. And I and it's just like, okay. And I went and, and it, it's, it's just Alan Tudyk. So funny, but to me, that kind of has its heart, and not just because it's similar, they're in a cabin in the woods and shit's going down, yeah. and it's not nothing possession or whatever, but just the idea of the heart of it being a horror and being a comedy and being so, you know, this, it, to me, it, you know, you think about things that kind of remind you, and, and I have to go back and watch Alan, uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, but it just... You know, that's a movie where I'll laugh out loud. Some of the the oh, shots yeah. were like yeah. Alan Tudyk. I, I can laugh at anything Alan Tudyk's doing. That's an episode of the the show Spaced. Yeah, uh, by uh, Edgar Wright and and Simon Pegg. There's what there's the beginning of one episode where he's playing a video game and I think he falls asleep playing like Resident Evil or something. Yeah, and he has a dream that's totally Evil Dead Two and yeah. Evil Dead inspired. And I think they even have like an Evil Dead Two poster hanging up in their apartment or something. And you've been to a lot more. Uh, cons than I have Ho- comic cons uh, horror movie sh- horror show cons but the couple I've been to with you the ones we've gone to that we've been at tables with and stuff like that yeah. uh, that's a huge thing now the cosplay of Ash sure. I see a lot of people cosplaying Ash sometimes people it's like Jason versus Jason you see people dressed up as Jason Voorhees you see a lot of people dressed up as various stages of Ash. I'm Ash from Evil Dead 2. I'm Ash from Army of Darkness. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. like to see a guy possessed Ash. You know, I don't know yeah, if you get that. Yeah, that would be a good one. And that's another thing, too, talking about, I guess, um, when they were possessed, they put those contacts in. And it was of the day where since the contacts are white, they couldn't see a damn thing, right? So they'd have to rehearse. Yeah. The, the, Without them. Yeah. And then shoot. But they shoot it blindly. Like, they couldn't see. Yeah. Campbell even said that they would keep on saying, like, open your eyes, open your eyes. And he's like, I couldn't tell if my eyes were open. <laughs> yeah, because you can't see. I mean, that's scary to think that, you know, a lot of times nowadays you'd think that you could see out of these contacts for the most part. And they you know? would be like, you know, Ted Raimi would be like coming out of the dirt and all the dirt would get underneath the lenses. It, yeah, he, he hurt his eye doing that. Uh, um uh, to me, that's it's it's insane con- uh, eye contact or uh, contact lens technology because like Tom Cruise when them strapping him to the side of that uh, uh, C seventeen to go up in the air, I think they had to put special contacts in to keep his eye- so he can have his eyes open for however pressure. You know, it's yeah. hard for me when you're driving, I stick my head out the window like a dog. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, and we're only going thirty, and I'm trying to keep my eyes open. You know, to, to, to be strapped to a C seventeen and going up. You know, so but the impact of the Evil Dead movies, uh, you know. 
not only are the spinoffs that I just said or the homages and things like Reboot and and Space, but Reboot. lots of different comic books. You know, there's sure. lots of Ash comic books, Army of Darkness comic books. Now, there was an Army of Darkness, I think, three or four part run, which was the the story of the movie Army of Darkness. But then in recent years, there's been like Ash versus- There's been crossovers. Yeah, there's been like uh, Ash- in the in the Marvel zombie, there was like a Marvel zombies, yeah, uh, run, huge. and there was like a whole run of Ash in that land. I actually have the the original art from a page from that, which is sweet. I bought it because it was Ash, Spider Man, and the Punisher all on the same page. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> but uh, Ash, like Army of Darkness, or Ash versus Reanimator, uh, all kinds of did, comic did books. Jason Voorhees, maybe your. There was an Ash versus Freddy versus Jason comic. Um, there was video. There's been video games. What's the, what's the quickly, what was the premise of the show? I watched the first. I watched the first episode, and then I just I fell off keeping with it. And people who watched it loved it. Yeah. But I mean, it's just he's the the, the evil gets out again, and he's got to just put the arm. He's the, living uh, in his. He's living know, in a trailer, right? He's living in a trailer, uh, which is is interesting because in his movie. My name is Bruce, and he plays himself. He plays Bruce Campbell, but he plays Bruce Campbell, who lives in a trailer. Um, so Ash lives in a trailer. I think he Very works. Shatner-esque. He works at like I don't know if it's not the S Mart, but it's whatever other store. And on a drunken night with like a prostitute, he ends up, you know, that she's she's a fan of poetry. She's got poetry on her like tattooed. Her. He's like, oh, you want to hear poetry? He's like, where do you listen to this shit? And he pulls out pages of the Necronomicon and he starts reading it. And then he ends up conjuring the conjuring the Condorian uh, the, uh, demons. And what do you have? Two two seasons of that? I think two or three. Yeah, definitely two. Maybe, maybe it's just two. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, Ramey did the pilot. Joel Duca did all the music. Campbell obviously came back. Tapert or Tappert uh, produced it. Um, it was a good one, and it, it ended. It ended like. On such, like, you so wanted to see fucking season three. Yeah, that's what I've heard. People were very much It ended, it. like, it ended kind of, in a way, like, the alternate ending for Army of Darkness ends. He, like, he's, like, too long. he's like, in the future, and he's, the he's like, now he's the savior of the future, and it's, like, going to be Ash versus the Machines or some shit. <laughs> and you're, like, oh, man. And then uh, and then it ends up, and he has friends. He pokes up, picks up friends along the way. Um, it was a lot of fun, you yeah. know. If anything, the episodes were too short because the episodes were like twenty minutes to a half an hour piece. Oh, and so, so you like you'd you be done more. and you'd be like, "Oh man!" But I guess you know, leave him running. And more. you you interviewed Campbell and uh, and then you got a pretty good interview out of him because you talked about stuff. You you focused more on his producing, right, than his acting. Yeah, I interviewed him uh, real quick. I interviewed him right when the remake of Evil Dead, right around the time that the remake of Evil Dead was maybe coming out on DVD or Blu-ray. And also Crime Wave had just come out on Blu-ray. And he produced both of those movies. So I interviewed him uh, basically about his producing. But we had to be talked about. Um, that's when he broke. It was breaking news that nobody picked up on. But he told me that he was writing another a sequel to his autobiography, which is now out. Um, which I think is called Handle the King. And uh, Bubba tap. We like <laughs> and we talked to about. Uh, we also talked about the possibility of. This was before the show came out, and he was talking about how they were planning on doing something Evil Dead related. And you, you and only, at the, and at the time they were going to write a movie, but then that movie be- eventually became the television show. And you had only done. You, he only 
supposed to we're only supposed to have like what like a half hour with him he said he would give me 20 minutes and you ended up like all day right <laughs> we talked for about an hour yeah that's awful um you know i just kept going he seemed like he was having a good time i think he was expecting it to be the same old interview yeah which sure. is fine but i think he he seemed way more engaged that's our motto here, you know, Blake, <laughs> and when he's interviewing, when I meet people at work, I just try to get them with that thing that they never heard of before. And, and uh, uh, it ended up being a really interesting and, and fun interview. Uh, um, do we, do we, I know part of it is on. Uh, yeah, yeah, on our old site, Podwits. Yeah. Yeah, we can make a, know, we could put a link here and then. I don't know if we ever, I should post the whole, because that was actually split up onto two sites, Podwits and Dread Central. Yeah. Dot com. We'll post the whole thing on maybe maybe we'll post it all on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I'll get it done by the time it's sure. post, but at some point I should. Yeah, we'll put links in. And then you, we, we remember when we were in college, we were trying to get him to come to do a colloquium, and we actually got into contact with his manager, but he was looking to get like hotel fare and I mean normal stuff. Yeah. His flight and his hotel fare, and then like the. the we went to a state school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you know, that's too much money. But it was nice that we had like his contact, and that was the how, the how you randomly got back in contact with him. Yeah, because I I used that email address, and he was like, "Hey, you know." And then w- after we did Mind Warp, I feel like a listener contacted us and told us a fucking a amazing crazy, story. <laughs> it's yeah. not our story to tell. Yeah, we can't tell the story. But there's but a listener out there that has an amazing story about Bruce, Bruce Campbell. Campbell. Yeah, and we'd love to. Um, we would we would love to rehash but it. If for we you, ever but, if we ever want to prank call Bruce Campbell, I think his cell phone number is still in my phone from when I did the interview. That'd be great. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> we're on air. Uh, yeah, and this is was ends up being released on my birthday, March the thirteenth, nineteen eighty seven, which I remember well because that birthday I got some Bill Cosby cassette tapes and then that night after my little party uh the fly was premiering on maybe the movie channel that's the first and only time i watched uh cronenberg's the fly scared the poopies out of me and that's all on march the 13th 1987 so uh, same night as this same night as this yeah and this and it ended up getting good good reviews and stuff like that you know even freaking ebert's giving it great reviews and stuff like that you know it ended up doing well and it had you know it's on crazy lists then you know like the, it's number 19 in the top 50 cult films it's number 34 on the 50th funniest films of all time it's it's 49th on the 500th greatest greatest films of all time and uh yeah i remember we're coming out on vhs dvd god bless like you said anchor bay at the day putting Some, all this somebody stuff out. maybe it was a writer for playboy put it as like number 15 on the greatest sequels of all time. Yes. And since this is the summer of sequels. Yeah, this the, he he listed it as number 12, oh, 12. on the list Even of Even better than I thought it yeah, was. Yeah, 15 <laughs> sequels that are way better than the originals. And it's a 2016 Playboy article cuz we only read Playboy for the articles. Um so yeah, so uh Ground, I feel like we could talk hours about you know the the style of Bruce yeah. There's Campbell a lot this, more than we that we could go into. But yeah, of all this, you know, there's only so many hours in the night <laughs> uh, in the in the sleepover before our parents get annoyed. Um, Hopefully, we put enough into wet your whistle. Yeah, in there about about the the fake Shemp and all the other different great stuff about uh, our obsession with the Evil Dead. Um, we are in the summer of sequels. We've got a great sequel coming next week. That's going to be a fun one. A fun very, for us, anyway. Yeah, a very controversial <laughs> sequel. A controversial. I don't going know back how to, fun it's going to be for everybody. Else. I think it's going. I think we're going to find a lot of. I think it's going to find its audience. We're going to have a lot we of people coming out. We also did RoboCop two this summer. We did do RoboCop two somewhere. That was one speaking another of, one of these. Speaking of controversial sequels, yeah, of, of all different people who talk about sequels, we can't give too much here because people are going to. Um, 
you know, maybe guess it because There's I some feel people like out there that are really good at it. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like some people have already maybe you know have tried to guess. <laughs> Even us just saying this might have somebody might have. Yeah, guessed I've it. already I've already known, but there's some people out there who've already kind of guessed it. Or they're like, are you doing this movie? We're like, no. No. So um, this it'll be fun next week. It'll, it'll get us into a niche, which is fun. And um, I want to thank everybody who took the time to vote for the podcast awards for us. Yeah. We'll find out, I think, uh, in, a, uh, in a week or so from when this drops. Yeah, we don't know. Wh- whether it was effective or not, but we do appreciate everyone who was able to take the time and do that for us. Yeah, we don't know right now of this recording what the uh, results are. So we're, we're sitting here with bated breath. Uh, you can always find us on uh, Facebook, on Instagram, we're on Twitter. You can like our stuff. Please, if, if you have social media, yeah. if you I'm have, to make a, a sincere, heartfelt plea. Please, you know, I'm trying to shop us around for possible sponsorship, and quite frankly, it's a little embarrassing that our social media is so low. <laughs> no, because I keep deleting people. I block people every time Blake gets over. Why are we getting so every day? We're going lower. It's because I'm. Uh, I'm I'm blocking people. So if you happen to have social media, Just whether it's like Twitter, it. Instagram, or Facebook, yeah, go especially be- Instagram and, and Twitter, go like us. If you don't yeah. want to hear what we have to say, put us on mute. Yeah, just, just unfollow us, us. <laughs> un, 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 unwatch us, or unfollow us to keep you our friends. You can mute it, but 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 keep us yeah, as because friends. there's people who have thousands of friends, and we're like, how the hell we're doing grass? We're getting the word on the street. But we're trying to you know we're trying to seem like a real show yeah. here because we are a real show with a great audience. Yeah, but for some reason our social media is not that great. Yeah, and people think when we ask them about stuff, they're like. Well, who are you? You've got a hundred <laughs> listeners, and we're like, no, the, we have more listeners. We think we have more listeners than the shows than a lot of the shows that have ten thousand followers yeah, on Twitter that get to go do colloquiums and Q and As and stuff. Um, you can check us out on clnsmedia.com. Clnsmedia.com. Uh, they're a great little site that that uh, we're partnered with. Uh, they're out of the Boston area, and they have a lot of Boston centric stuff, a lot of sports stuff, but also a ton of podcasts. Yeah. Not. They seem if you go on the site they seem sports centric but they have a lot of podcasts varied yeah, and subject stuff so you from, check it from 80s to movies to politics to us to us to weed yeah all <laughs> kinds of stuff so CLNS Media check them out uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor this week as well uh, you can always check us out we're on iTunes we're now on iHeartRadio which is huge we're on Stitcher uh, Stitcher we're on Player FM a whole bunch of stuff uh, Blake, what do you have going on? Uh, still doing cuts from the crypt. We're coming up. Uh, you know, Halloween's just a couple. I only do one episode a month. So sure, it's hard. It's, yeah. just, before you know, it'll be Halloween. Yeah, so. two episodes from now, Blake's <laughs> in the Halloween season. You know, so so uh, check me out. That's at the Damn Fine Network. Of course, you can check out the back episodes of Scored to Death, the podcast. Hopefully. I'll have new episodes up there at some point. I'm in the middle of working on a book, so uh, it's tough for me to do that. I've been writing, doing a lot of freelance writing, so as that stuff starts to get released, I'll make those announcements. And, of course, you can check out my book, Scored to Death, Conversations with Some of Horace Gray's Composers, on Amazon from other book retailers or from me directly at scoredtodeath.com. Get yourself a nice autographed copy of Scored to Death at scoredtodeath.com. Uh, I've got my book out, Blood in the Streets. That's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your books. You can get a paperback. You can get an audio book. You can get an e-book if you guys like uh, 70s movies, if you like cop, cop movies, if you like crime movies, if you like historical fiction. Uh, that might be right up your alley. So check that out, please. Uh, we always like to say if you want to support your local podcaster, please buy our books. That really helps us. And we'll be 
back very soon in two weeks with another sequel because we're wrapping up. We only got about two or three left. You know, and we're already right now hot. We're hot tabbing because the last one, which is going to be our anniversary, uh, we're already making hot changes. We don't know what's going on now. So um, you we know, had planned on something, but now we're talking about maybe doing something, something else. else. So uh, you know, you'll, you'll know that before we do because we'll have it out by then. But uh, <laughs> you know, we we love to hear from you. So check us out. You know, do everything, and uh, I'm not making any sense anymore because I'm delirious. So until next time, later. later.